There's probably no more terrible instant of enlightenment than the one in which you discover your father is a man with human flesh. From Collected Sayings of Muad'Dib by the Princess Irulan. Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we'll open up a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here. Oh, that we will. And Mike, you have a special bottle for this week. I you, do. You've been excited I've for been a excited while. I've been excited for this. And well, it's, yeah, I don't know why I've been so excited for it, to be honest. It's more like, hey, I found a bottle of wine with 14 on its label. <laughs> That's going to be chapter 14. <laughs> it's called, it's by 14 Hands Winery. And it's called Hot to Trot. Hot to Trot. <laughs> it's a red blend from Columbia Valley. And mm. on the, the picture of this label, we've got three horses, two uh, orange-looking ones, and then one purple one taking the lead. I think we uh, we sort of joked earlier that these are the spice horses and then the... The uh, Sappho super, horse. The Sappho horse. The Mentat the, Sappho horse. Super Howlet taking up the lead. Um, Yeah, it's... I mean... It smells a little weird. I'm not going to lie. Like, that was funky. Yeah. Uh, you're I right. was concerned of like, I'm going to let Mike take the first sip on this one. <laughs> oh, my, am I your poison snooper? <laughs> yeah. Is there something I should know? <laughs> Whoopsie. Oh, no. That's out of the bag on that one. Mm. But otherwise, it's I was, delightful, though. I was impressed. It's smooth. Yeah. I like it. It's delicious. Uh, and then you said a little note on the back there. Is there. There's a little note on the back. So, 14 hands wine. Uh, inspired by the unbridled oh horse, <laughs> yeah, that's good writing Spirit right there. Of wild horses that once inhabited the Columbia River basin and stood a mere fourteen hands tall. That's actually pretty short for horses, isn't it? But it's like um, one and a half yards, so we're looking at four and a half feet. That's a tiny horse. That is a small horse. Uh, the terrain that gave those small ah small horses <laughs> their endurance. Since uh, I didn't actually read this, Derek. I like how it uh, it like uh, shames them for their height and then tries <laughs> to flatter them with their endurance and their strength. <laughs> These small horses, uh, their endurance and strength now feeds our vines. Wait, yeah, it's horse fed. What? Uh, <laughs> Is this built on like a horse graveyard? No, I think it's saying. Uh, oh, the terrain now feeds. Okay, like like I really interpreted that the wrong you, way. Your eyes went very wide for a second. <laughs> just like just looking at my glass and looking at the bottle. Oh no, it is a okay. lot redder than the last one. All right, not horse wine. Not so horse wine. We no. can rest assured there. Mystery has been solved. <laughs> uh, anywho. Moving on. <laughs> Indeed we are, Mike. Moving on to this book called Dune. <laughs> yes. Welcome. That's what we're here for. That's what I come here for. What did we do last week? Um, oh, Last week, we uh, we filed our way out of a staff meeting, and we had a little sidebar with Thufir Hawat. Mm-hmm. The Duke did. Because uh, he had to get something off his chest and kind of had to pull something out of Hawat. It's kind of like pulling teeth, but he finally got it out of him. Because uh, we finally have the crosshairs on Lady Jessica. As per Piter's plan, so Thufir, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Thufir is like uh, he's suspecting her now because we got we got all those notes that were popping right. Up. Traitor, traitor, traitor. Oh traitor. yeah, so we're getting close to the end of that plan where Sadakar coming in. Ooh, that uh, we we did a little list. That's the all that's left, potentially. Oh my gosh, it's not happening this chapter though. Ah, uh, I mean, I read the chapter. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> You did. Tell me a story, Derek. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. I want to make sure you know what you're talking about. 
Yeah, no, no, I read the chapter. Are, We're not getting no, Sardaukar. No Sardaukar. We're actually getting kind of a, a really uh, emotional chapter here. Or I thought it was emotional anyways. I think we might have to go uh, earmark some Sardaukar wine. Some Sardaukar wine? So when they show up, that might as well be oh, something what would we that celebrate. Even be? I don't know, something bloody. Uh, <laughs> okay. Something angry. <laughs> something bloody. Yeah, we'll Any fi- red wine will do, Derek. Yeah, yeah we'll find it in the name. Oh, you know, maybe that's what we busted a rosé for. Uh, and oh. just lean into that direction. Okay. <laughs> I, I know you don't like whites, but I got a Chardonnay with your name on it. That it- All right, back to red. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. But yeah, so that was last week. Uh, dealing with uh, Thufir Hawa in the side room. And now we are going to join uh, Lito. He's going to have a little conversation with Paul. Because mm-hmm. remember, we left actually Lito. He did a little walk on his own. He went out to a balcony. Right, Had right. kind of a moment to himself uh, while the sun was rising up. And uh, before we jump into that for this one, uh, we had that little quote in the beginning, which mm-hmm. was another very straightforward for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, oh, that, that terrible realization when you realize your father is just a man. I think everyone has that growing up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is inevitable. And, and not just like your father, but like your mother, like just your parents or whoever raised you. Yeah. Any teachers, any role models. Yeah. Uh, he- never meet your heroes is always a good say. <laughs> why. Yeah. And I love in the, the words he chose here. It's sort of almost like a poetic. It's talking about enlightenment and discovery. And then it hits you with just human flesh. And I think that really encapsulates both like mortality as well as uh, Leto being subject to his emotions. Right. Like he is no different than you or I, just older. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He has a few more experiences. And Messed up can... just more. He's had more time to make more mistakes. <laughs> yeah. like, but that's it's true, though. I yeah. think that's that is. Uh, yeah, that is uh, an experience for sure. Mm-hmm. And this chapter, it comes in. uh so we have Lido and Paul in the middle of, we're kind of jumping in this middle of the discussion. It looks like they've been talking for a little bit longer from uh, when we left Paul asleep last time. And uh, we open with this, like, uh, focuses on the portable uh, poison snooper overhead right in yeah. the beginning of it. So we were talking about poison snoopers last week. I should have just saved it for this one. I, I almost told you to, but I was like, oh, maybe, maybe he doesn't know yet because he kind of keep you like, <laughs> yeah. in the dark as much as we can for it. Uh, so just going to kind of answer the questions that you had. But yeah, this is the first one. And it, it describes it kind of like uh, I was um, alluding to this description with these bug-like arms is what Paul looks up and sees. Right, right. Uh, I think he alludes it to like a, a dead insect. Sensor arms hung limply over the table. That's so weird. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and just the light in the light of why we know this snooper is here right now. Yeah. Uh, this traitor is about... The trade is about the attempt on Paul's life. Uh, we get the feeling that like maybe this wouldn't have been brought over tonight if it wasn't so like all Probably. these things. Yeah, they didn't happen. go home. Like he just had breakfast sent right up to the council chamber. Yeah, I mean specifically he didn't want Paul to go home. Like I think Lido kind of wanted to keep him close that night. Now uh, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't say that he. Uh, oh, whether was he was sleeping or he not. He didn't say that yeah. he was awake that night, but he didn't say that he was asleep either. I think we got to assume he's awake then. <laughs> if you didn't tell me he was asleep, when I, I need to see Paul wake up. That is the key. <laughs> Paul opened his eyes. I need, to, I need to check his palms, make sure there's not like uh, a sedative in either one of those. <laughs> no, so uh, you know, I think he finally got a little rest. I think he finally passed out from the, the exhaustion of the day. I, I can chalk it up. Uh, he probably waited until all of the adults left. Uh, Because he does specifically say, like, no, I'm not tired when they're there. And then you come back and, like, 
He clearly, like, when the guard was there, he's like, oh, I'll take your coat, I'll take your bag, and boom, conks right out of that uh, table and seat there. Um, but Paul is up now, and we have he's actually watching that film clip that Thufir dropped off last time of uh, Fremen religious practices, sort of a, a first report on it. And specifically, he's hearing two words mentioned over and over. Mari. And Lisan al-Gaib. And directed at him in particular. Yeah. And this is one of those things that uh, I think it just kind of stirs his terrible purpose a little bit. Uh, he has a little mentat moment here. He closes his eyes and recall the shouts of the crowds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, he's like pulling it up in full, too. Like that total recall. You know what? You know, it's, it's been a while, Derek. We haven't seen our uh, old friend in a while. Uh, which one? El Morte is dead. No, um, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the oldest of friends. The terrible purpose. Oh, terrible purpose. That's true. He has been holding out on us, yeah. hasn't he? Uh, he didn't show up in the staff meeting at all. <laughs> no, think which that... I really would have thought we would have. Yeah, maybe like right when the worm came on. The... Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I don't think we saw a display I think it, on, it only comes up when there are moments of like talking about destiny and like the future. Mm-hmm. I would have thought that maybe it was a future for like the uh, staff conference or the uh, the conference meeting. Why am I just saying the same word in like <laughs> different ways for the tactical meeting they had? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that wasn't, like, uh, too pertinent to his destiny no. or his purpose, so to speak. So when it comes to him and his future, that's when he gets that. Mm-hmm. I think anything that would, uh, especially is going to touch on Mahdi or Lisan al-Gayib. Yeah. We're going to see it, like, uh, tickle out a little bit more. And then he thinks back to another word we haven't heard for a while, Kwisach Haderach. Kwisach Haderach. Thinking back to what Gaius Helamahayim said. Yeah. All of these words kind of piling in. Uh, I mean, I think on top of that. Well, it says strange, hmm. shading the strange world with sensations of familiarity that he could not understand. Strange words with familiarity that yeah. he cannot understand? Yeah. No, uh, shading the strange world. World. Oh, okay. Being like this new place yeah. that he's in, this new situation. Ooh, that is really cool. Like, there's something to it. I think maybe that is a sign that, you hmm. know, okay. Mm. Always. Guy, <laughs> you already know what I'm going to say. <laughs> but I, I want yeah. to put it out there, Mike. So. Guys, Helen said that he's not the Kwisatch Haderach mm-hmm. and that Jessica ruined it. She jumped the gun. The next in line would have been the Kwisatch Haderach, hopefully. I think that Paul is. Guys, Helen said, I, uh, I don't see the possibility. This doesn't mean it's not there, though. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I want to couch that a little bit. Okay. Of, uh, but she's not, she's not, she wouldn't bet anything on it. Is what I, I got the <laughs> she, feeling from she, her. She doesn't have a Safa horse in the race. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I think, I think he is. And I think that this, uh, this terrible purpose and sort of these sensations of familiarity, the familiarity is what got me. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe he is sort of sensing a bit of that, that, uh, that male lineage and memories. Or no, can he look into both male and female as a Kwisatz Haderach? Or is yes, it just male? Yeah, it'd be both so male maybe, and So maybe it's not even male. Maybe it's just like... Uh, just memory. Just memory in general. Memory. Maybe things that uh, even as far back as uh, someone from Arrakis. I don't know who on Arrakis it would be, but maybe. But Yeah, if there's some... Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the myriad of lineage, uh, lineage that goes back. I th- I'm starting to think that maybe the, uh, maybe the Terrible Purpose has a little something to do with that as well. Okay. So are you saying like uh, the terrible purpose is the memories? I think it's the feeling of familiarity he has with these words that he knows nothing about 
and that makes him uncomfortable. And that's so, what, why sort, it feels like sort terrible of like purpose. deja vu, but knowing it comes from back here. And the here. fact that he has truth sense, so like knowing that like these feelings are absolute or like true, and like there's no doubt that it's not like, not being like not nerves or anything. Sure, sure. I think maybe that could subconsciously add another factor to it. That's a good one in that uh, obviously there's no way for you and I to really replicate that feeling no, or understand what that's like. But if you as it's described of just like knowing veracity within something. Yeah, that must be agonizing yeah. to a teenage boy to know something is oh, true. Oh, God, I, I keep forgetting that he's only 15. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. 15-year-old supercomputer. This guy. This guy. This boy. <laughs> this boy. We're not a guy. It, you'll know when he turns into a man, and it's not yet. Oh, man. Um, yeah. All those, all that's come back. So that is just uh, piling up literally the first three chapters is all that wow. is into one. Um, and him recollecting. And uh, is there before I because uh, I'm going to dip into Lido talking about uh, Jessica and that whole deal. Was there anything else in those memories uh, before we get to that of these words and the previous chapters with Paul? You know, I, I don't think so right now. I feel like as soon as we move on, something will come to me. But let's okay. ju- let's just leave it for now. But like so, that, that thought occurred to me and I just wanted to sort of like touch on it. Maybe. uh just sort of bounce it off you, see what uh, you think. Yeah, Maybe no. I can get some reactions. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. No, I think I think you're on a good track, and uh, you should always be speculating with terrible purpose. Yeah. Uh, we will, by the end of the book, we'll tell you what terrible purpose is. Excellent. Oh, okay, uh, good. So like, we will have a definitive answer to this. Yeah, definitive uh, might be like more than what you want, but yeah. We yeah. will have like, this is what we got. There's a signpost. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like, hey, roughly over there, terrible purpose. <laughs> 100 ish miles <laughs> yeah i mean it's just it's it's franker some things are just even in their specificity are a little vague mm. uh is, he, he does seem to be a little hit or miss on that that kind of oxymoron but like, I, th- I think he just leaves you the room mm-hmm. to like where he didn't want to kind of you can just run with it however that's, you want. i mean like that's good and it makes that's, everyone that's even like kind of an optimistic take on it it huh? makes the <laughs> yeah well like it sort of makes the the story itself that much more personal and unique to each person reading it, mm-hmm. which I think is good. Well, and uh, there are a number of things, I think just with you and I talking where I have operated on misconceptions of like hunter seeker size, right? Yeah. Things oh, like yeah. that. Where like, if I had taken the second to like kind of flesh it out, be like, Oh yeah. I mean, it doesn't make sense if like the hunter seeker burrows a giant hole in you <laughs> and then like carves up your nerves. <laughs> yeah. That's like, going to work if it's like, but uh, it's even more like deadly and conniving. If it's a sliver of a hair that's going right. in uh, and working its way up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so jumping in where Lido is talking here um, last chapter, we let Thufir know that um, Jessica might be the traitor and we decided speaking as Leto, to let Thufir have this one. Be like, sure, suspect her. Suspe- uh, suspicion is his profession. It's not mine, is what Leto says. Right. And now we're going to turn to Paul and kind of fill Paul in on something that Thufir isn't going to be in the fold on. Yeah, this Leto took this one. I think he was up all night thinking about what he was going to do, or how he was going to approach this. Ooh, I don't think a, he slept. So like, uh, I last, think Leto's taking a page out of Paul's book. <laughs> well, uh, oh, no, oh, I was gonna say he took he takes the anti fatigue pill actually during yeah. this chapter, uh, which I was. Just, oh, oh yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, the yeah. Pill. I was thinking of like uh, Paul watching that, uh, but we'll get there. Um, yeah, uh, I think that is a a good juxtaposition. That I wonder how long he was up. Uh, we kind of touched on that of like uh, maybe it was like twenty minutes, but it could be yeah. Well, he could have been staring out there for the whole night, just 
kind of thinking of these things. And then that sunrise I, event took place. I think last week I even said that like at the end of it all, like he sort of had like a roller coaster of emotions from like uh, looking at the uh, cynical moonlight and then a shiver and anger and then immediately oh, like yeah. sadness. And like, I think he was all over the board. And I think that translates immediately to this. I think, I don't think there was any way he could have slept. Mm. That's all. Yeah. There's a little, um, it's like hysteria kind of the word is he's just, he's just running on anxiety. Empty. Maybe. Well, just like he's like got no, f- no fuel. Like he's been trying to do everything and not look tired mm-hmm. the entire time. And that's catching up to him. And so he's telling Paul right now that, uh, for this to get by, he's he wants to trick the other people, so he needs Jessica to think that she is uh, that he suspects her. So he's gonna let this information leak to her, and Paul is sort of like, "Well, what? You know, why don't we just tell mom? <laughs> like, you know, she's been yeah. a desert." And Lido's just like, "You know, this response must not be an act. Oh, she's capable of a supreme act, but too much rides on this. He doesn't trust her to fake it." I don't think it's that. I don't. I think it's that. Um, he's not. Maybe not. Like not willing to risk her on it. He wants that so genuine, because that's the only chance there is. I don't know. I don't think he knows what she's capable of. Like very acutely, I don't think he's giving her enough credit on this. I see. I I think the love is what's blinding him at this point. Like I don't think he's willing to risk his family anymore. And that uh, if she slips up, I mean, up like if that in, was his concern, he would have gone to two pile. Well, we're we're already past the point where he can make that decision. Yeah, we're yeah, past that point for sure. But like, I don't know. I think that right. But they didn't try to kill his son until after they were landed. We couldn't. The only time we could have gone on two pile was before we landed. Mm-hmm. Once we got here, there was no going back. That's when the attack happened, and that attack is what's undone, Leto. Since that's happened, we've seen all of his control just slowly leak out of him. And it's coming more and more of a driving force in him. Um, but that's just my opinion on it. Uh, oof. Oh, Lido. But he also, he drops a little bit of a, I'm going to call this one a Bene Gesserit proverb here uh, at the end. And he okay. says, uh, she must be hurt this way, that she, is not, uh, that she does not suffer greater hurt. And that is also part of his rationale then. Oh, wait. You know what that reminds me of? What's that? That reminds me of... Uh... It's too early for the glossary game, Mike. Uh, no, Istala <laughs> from last week. Oh, Istala? Yeah, brutal necessity. Brutal necessity for like uh, general welfare. Yeah, that he's making... This... It's like, I'm, do- I'm, making the- I'm doing this and it's hard and it's hurtful, but I'm doing this so that she won't be hurt even more. Mm-hmm. So there's not a greater loss for us all. And, like, um, yeah, I will give you... I do think it's weird that um, Paul, like, kind of asks him, like, well, why are you telling me this? <laughs> yeah, like, what do I have to do with this? And he's just like, no one's going to look at you, kid. <laughs> and you have to keep the secret. <laughs> and, like, really, it just comes down to, like, Leto just needs someone. Only two to- people know, you <laughs> and me. <laughs> and uh, I think Leto just needs someone to say this to. Yeah, he doesn't have anyone. And he, it would be Lady Jessica, but she she's part of this. He wants her. He doesn't in. have anyone else. Paul is the only other person. Mm-hmm. And I see, that's also why. Don't you think maybe her love for him could have been too much to cloud her, uh, her skill? Maybe. maybe that would just just enough to like, all we need is that one traitor to notice it. And it's all up. I think he wants her to be. Yeah, no, I think you make a good point. 
I think he wants to, her to be at 100% so that worst case scenario, even if something happens to him, that the two of them can somehow make it out. Because yeah. they have their senses and wits about them. And I mean, uh, uh, I definitely agree with Paul making it out. I wonder how much he's uh, putting in, investing to make sure Jessica gets out. It seems like he's definitely doing stuff for Paul. I mean, but granted, we're having this discussion with Paul. We know he's had many a side discussion with uh, Jessica that we weren't like uh, privy to or part of. Um, but uh, I like in these, this whole chapter is pretty much like almost his, uh, kind of farewell to this Paul is in his some last ways. Testament. Yeah. Of like, this is what you're going to do if I die. This is what it means to be the Duke. And he's spelling these things out. And he also kissed him. So like right after this, um, talking about the, um, how she must be hurt. Duke tells him kind of why he's telling Paul this. And it's like, look, if anything should happen to me. And I think this is the first time we've had the Duke admit his death to Paul. Yeah. We've had him tell Paul he's going to have to kill before. We've been uh, crossing these little thresholds as we go, but he needs him to be able to tell her the truth that I never doubted her for the smallest instant. I should want her to know this. That, oh, that gives me a little bit of a chill. Yeah. And Paul recognized the death thoughts in his father's words. That's the third or fourth mention of death i think or some symbol of death that yeah this is like the most direct mention everything else has been an allusion to death we've seen scythes mm-hmm. out in the field we've seen a skull superimposed on the duke we've seen the space empty before he left it and now we've been, thoughts and we've been told uh for the duke nothing and now like yeah death thoughts and this is paul rec- like seeing this right uh before his very it eyes just, oh man and uh, he, I, uh, he's like, remember, 15-year-old boy, your dad's telling you this. And he's just saying, nothing's going to happen to you, sir. This way, too, because if he does die and Lady Jessica, you know, he dies thinking uh, or he dies and Lady Jessica thinks that, like, oh, he didn't love me or trust me enough to tell me this. He wants Paul to be the one to be like, he wants her to know he does care about her enough. Mm-hmm. That is really sad to think about, though. Yeah. I mean, and uh, in these last couple chapters, we've been seeing uh, both the parents now use Paul as a messenger. Jessica sent Paul back with the traitor message, not wanting to use it on the radio Mm. so that Paul could provide the full context. So I just think there is like this. um, This feels more like a conduit of confidence, you know, like. uh, In uh, a lot of like World War One, World War Two movies where. they have like a letter back to their family. They sort of keep in their their pocket. And they sure, give yeah. like if they're shot like the most recent yeah, one. Or... Give like get this back to my family. That's oh. what I feel like Duke Leto is doing to Paul right now. Oh, like he's got that farewell. Yeah. always ready to go. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be weird if he took it out and he read it in front of him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really weird. Be really... <laughs> I want you to say it exactly as I do. <laughs> the rest of the day, we just practice this. No, he meant that. He would record it in <laughs> yeah, one inch. That would... is all it would be like. <laughs> but oh man. So uh but uh Paul now he notes the signs of fatigue in the Duke. And I think what does he clock? Like uh three things, uh being these like dark circles under the eyes, a cynical twist to the yeah. mouth, uh, which coming right after he just got eyed by a cynical moon last time. <laughs> That's right. So that it, moon. it transferred itself. Uh, he's been possessed but, by the uh, second moon of Arrakis. Paul, and Paul is just like, nothing's going to happen. We're going to make it through it. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. And the Duke, he gives the strangest line, I think. Uh, it makes sense. It's really good on paper. 
And make no one talks like this, though. If you and I weren't alone, we're having a hard heart, and then all of a sudden you said, I am tired. I'm morally tired. The melancholy degeneration of the great houses has afflicted me at last, perhaps. That's just kind of weird. I don't know. I think it's more reflective of just sort of uh, the inevitable end coming. Sort of, but he's like uh, poetically measuring up this like, uh, the would be if the, you were, the waning if you did, great houses as you they gonna, all slide into just complacency. If you were a guy like Duke Leto and mm-hmm. you knew you were gonna die, and it was very soon, you didn't know when it was gonna happen. Wouldn't you want your last words to be like somewhat memorable or like not shitty? <laughs> These aren't his last. I, I guess this is like his last thoughts with his kid, though. I know. Yeah, I I don't know. I I don't think this is uh, as grand as that, but. I, I don't think it would mean I would bust out the thesaurus for everything I was talking about. <laughs> Fair. Uh, and, uh, he's just been hanging with Gurney too long. Oh, there we go. <laughs> that all day. Gurney, he does. he's good at punching up some yeah. words. He's like, no, no, you want to use this. <laughs> like, how often does he talk to Gurney? Because every time, Gurney's good for at least three of them. It sounds like he was recently locked. You know what? He's probably in the same room on the crossing. <laughs> <laughs> Because he was really not having it when Gurney kept busting. He up. actually learned the OC Bible twice. <laughs> he's been through it. Um, but yeah, so Leto, he's telling him he's tired. And then uh, mm. Leto brings up the marriage and his regret of not marrying his woman. Oh, man. Uh, and I could have sworn I heard some plates break in the, in the governor's palace. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she doesn't do dishes. That's true. Uh, Maybe a sneeze. <laughs> what the hell? Kuahan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, yeah, he's just, uh, he had held off. He'd only not done it for kind of the reasons we've heard many a time of like letting, uh, just dangling this in front of the other houses as a possible alliance. And now we have Leto even saying kind of like what a joke this was, which is sort of like what we saw uh, Jessica say earlier. And she was explaining why she's the concubine mm. and just being like, why do I even like go through the motions of this? It's all just a joke, essentially. It feels like uh, in this next part, you could remove all of Paul's dialogue and like nothing changes for the Duke. I feel like he's almost sort of in his own head right now. He is like talking to himself. In a sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. But like not just to himself. It's also, he's, I think like this is my final lesson to you, Paul. He's gonna, he's gonna say, yeah, because he does kind of direct Paul on yeah. a few things of like, this is highlighting very specific points to know. Um, but it, it is almost like talking past Paul every time Paul like speaks up and to him, uh, cause Paul's trying to tell him like, oh, you lead well, you govern well, men follow you willingly and love you. And the Duke just responds, my propaganda core is one of the finest, <laughs> which, mm-hmm. oh, he's in this really cynical mood too, where I don't think he's lying. No, I don't think so either. He's got a top notch prop core. Nothing wins more loyalty for a leader than an Arab Rivera. Therefore, I cultivate an Arab Rivera. Ooh, and there's the father. Yeah. Right? That is what Jessica hates about him. That kind of point. And that, yeah. that reasoning and just for. Uh, and that uh, Leto thinks there's a great possibility for them on Arrakis. Nestled in here. Uh, and then he does admit to uh, Paul for the first time that he thought about going renegade. Right. And Paul is just shocked by this. Oh, oh gosh, yeah. Because I think uh, like you... I know, I know. That's why you weren't invited. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you, Jessica, going up. <laughs> I, I knew you'd take it this way, Paul. <laughs> um, do you have the line uh, right there when hmm. he uh, 
right before Paul exclaims, like, father, and he says, like, yeah. uh, sinking into the ignominy of the people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the whole thing, uh, it's actually right with the uh, propaganda core thing. Uh, right after that, it's, uh, yet sometimes I think it would have been better if we'd run for it, gun renegade. Sometimes I wish we could sink back into anonymity among the people, become less exposed to father. He cuts him off. And then, like, it's like yes, I am tired, he said. And I, uh, I love like that shows us so much about uh, how bred Paul is into the station. Like you're not even allowed to have that thought. That is so like contrary to mm-hmm. the house and to this order and the Frau Frau Luchas. So film is what they use to sort of uh, put information on like papers, the notes between couriers, probably the propaganda that's on the walls as well. Sure. Is film use spice as an ingredient for the production of its base? It um, it sounds like there's multiple ways you can make it. Okay. But yeah, so Lido tells him uh, right away, like... Because it says they use spice residue as raw material. Yeah. He says, uh, what is it, like, we, we have a manufacturing film base using spice residue kind of stuff. So yeah. they're using the residue of spice from harvesting mm-hmm. to create propaganda. Yes. Or like literal, not create like, oh, here are the words, literal pieces of paper yeah. to post the propaganda. Yeah. I told you he was pragmatic. Like, this is the extreme, though. And uh, you're going to see there's a, there's a lot you can do with spice. Apparently. Uh, Fremen have like little factories in their sketches, and they pump out all kinds of stuff. And the main thing they work with is spice. There's uh, spice fiber. I told you when we were going over. I mean, the, they don't uh, have a lot of resources. <laughs> right, right. But and it's just a really uh, miraculous organic resource where like there's literally leather bits that come out with it. There's that mock spice that you can use as a pesticide. Uh, then there's the spice itself. There's oh, a uh, fiber you can make from it. So th- there's a lot. And then let alone melange. Yeah. The geriatric spice of the universe. Yeah. Oh. So we'll we'll uh we'll get into a lot more of that and the extensiveness of spice down the road, but for the fact of now, yeah, we have a couple factories pumping out film base, and yeah, Lido tells him like, you need this. We mustn't run short on film base, else how could we flood the village and city with our information? The people must learn how well I govern them. How would they know if we didn't tell them? Oh, when there's Frank Herbert, that's a commentary on government. Yeah, right that there. is. How would we tell if we didn't tell them? Who was in office uh, during these six years? Uh, that he was writing it. Wouldn't it have been uh, Kennedy in '60? Didn't he beat Nixon? And then Nixon. I, I'm not very good with my U.S. history in the. Pretty sure it's Kennedy, and then uh, Kennedy gets assassinated, RFK gets assassinated, and Mal- er, uh, Martin Luther King in 68, and then Nixon comes right in the 70s. Yeah. Because Nixon famously loses during the first uh, televised debates right. to Kennedy. Uh, and then uh, one of the things I cling to is that Frank Herbert said his favorite president is Nixon. Really? Because Nixon taught you not to trust anyone in the government. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's good. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. Uh, so I love that. And I, I like uh, there's always I this... think that's important to like think about, actually, like especially in relation to this book. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I was just going to say uh, he very much treats the aristocracy in this book is cynical uh, on every level. Like they're not religious people. either. They see religion as a tool. Mm-hmm. They see all these things as tools to control. Uh, we're going to keep going in this and get to a point of like fear and power are part of statecraft. Do you think uh, Shadon the Fourth is really into recording on film books? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I think he's got probably like a film pod. Yeah, uh, that he puts out. Yeah, a little room and a film pod. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's got a weekly uh, <laughs> that everyone's catching it on. It's all the rage on Gamont. <laughs> That's how he vents. Just like, <laughs> just a fun little project for me on the side. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing else I can really do as ever. I can't pick my own wife. I can't <laughs> throw over these people. I don't have control of the spice. I'm just gonna do a little podcast, a little film cast. Side of card dance. <laughs> <laughs> That's his like oh all this, oh poor Sado car. Used his all in tutus. So um Paul again, so we were kinda of like uh, talking about this film base. He just telling his dad, like, maybe you go to bed, Dad. Mm-hmm. Take a nap. Like, we try like, this again. You're tired. You should stop talking. <laughs> Paul's uncomfortable with this. Oh, and he should be, because this gets really dark in a second. And uh I, I pulled out this whole paragraph and we're gonna take a little tangent at the end of it here. Yeah, okay. So we have this is the Duke Leto saying is Arrakis has another advantage. I almost forgot to mention. Spice is in everything here. You breathe it and eat it in almost everything. And I find that it imparts a certain natural immunity to some of the most common poisons of the Assassin's Handbook. And the need to watch every drop of water puts all food production, yeast culture, hydroponics, come of it, everything under the strictest surveillance. Now, let me pause there, just because I want to cover those things, and then we'll get to this Before really we dark... drop the needle. Yep. <laughs> Uh, I've just mentioned that spice is everywhere that yeah. you breathe you, and stuff. You've mentioned that to me before. That's where I draw that from. Mm-hmm. It's mainly from this line in here, uh, just in terms of the air. So, and uh, then I wonder how. Uh, that's why all the fermen have the blue eyes too. Well, I mean, they also they have also a lot consume. Of spice. They, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't just get the blue eyes from being here for so long. No. Uh, yeah. It maybe because uh, it is just like a slow buildup. Maybe it would take like twice as long or something. But it's not going to be the same as like if you were also eating it. Right. Uh, it is much more dramatic if you eat it. But it is worth uh, just noting that it is like a perception spice that uh, a measurable. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but then, crazily, it gives you immunity to poisons. Mo- uh, most of the common poisons. Most of the anyways. common poisons. Probably not a gamjabar. And I like how he phrased it. Like, I find that. It seems like he's just been tasting poisons. Uh, maybe he tried to kill himself when he got here because he's only, oh, been, here, God. only he, been here a day. I don't think he would do that. No. No, I don't. Uh, I think he definitely read it in a book or through fear told him, <laughs> I hope. Dr. Yui, taste that. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, part of the soup doctor skill. <laughs> Glad you brought this up. <laughs> Um, they are so good. They're like uh, homeopaths, okay. and they are master chemists. The whole goal of the soup doctor is you can pretty much, you give them a chem set, you put them in the jungle on any world, give them 30 minutes, they will find the base ingredients you need to make like most medicines and get shit Really? Going. Yeah. They're, That's cool. So they're really good at finding natural remedies and stuff, testing it all out and going it. So he would. Do in that. only 30 minutes? I'm, I am certainly embellishing oh, that Oh, okay, okay. Give them, like, some <laughs> all right, all right, all right. No, no, you get, give them some, but I'm just saying it will, uh, they'll do a reasonable deduction. Give him the first hour to get his first hunt, get his confidence up. Yeah, yeah. Give him that trank gun. Yeah. All soup doctors got one. <laughs> Out into the woods. Yeah. Uh, so that's just, uh, that's actually their specialty and how they go about medicine. So for them, it, they're not like a medicine doctor like we think. Right. They are literally thinking of everything. It's plants, how it interacts with every organ in your body, every system of your body, and trying to find also therapeutic methods to heal you. There's, there's like a, almost like little uh, facets of like the mentat sort of grafted onto the soup doctor mm-hmm. then in a way. I mean, obviously, they are not trained the same way. Sure. Uh, teachers in general are also different in the entire universe. So we don't have teachers. We have edu-trainers. 
And the main difference being in uh, where we have established in the future, they look at history and see that there used to be things called teachers that were people skilled in one narrow uh, area that would then try to impart that knowledge in that one narrow area onto people. Uh, whereas an edutrainer is like a, like a polymath is how we would look at it. And that is how they do the whole education system. So you never learn one subject now. Okay. It's always like a full uh, breadth of things that mm -hmm. you're tackling at once and their interrelatedness. So there's never one strict math course, it's sort of like physics, math, and all that, you know, put in together. So you're applying it and learning it and thinking about it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really interesting. So then we get into um, Lido saying uh, beyond the poisons, just that uh, every drop of water is pretty much uh, we're tallying, we're measuring. So there's no chance for someone to tinker yeah. with it and just slip something else in. Like poison is just like the least of anyone's problems on here because mm -hmm. honestly there's a little bit of water in poison so thank you for adding that to the pool yeah. like, uh, we'll take it um, <laughs> it's just a bit more i want the poison in me i want i'll it. take it uh and, and then, he just runs up and stabs herself ah you say mapes yeah of course of course the only one that could she sneaks through yeah. your legs and gets my idea. <laughs> she's got gusto so then we get to this uh this part i wanted to segment off of this last bit it's so dark and weird and so the duke leto says we cannot kill off large segments of our population with poison, and we cannot be attacked this way either. Arrakis makes us moral and ethical. I don't know about that one. The fact that you had that thought just makes me think that mm, your morals and ethics are probably a uh, little in question here. Yeah, yeah, getting attacked that way? Okay, safe, safe. But like, I why mean, we had to worry about killing large I mean, portions like, of the population? Like Plato said, things get destroyed all the time. All the time. <laughs> all the time, Derek. Accidents. If I didn't see it, not my problem. I think, I don't know. Do you think he would? No, I don't think he would kill the entire population. Ooh, well, uh, before we even go down that road, I actually want to take a step back. And mm. this is one of those moments where I want us to look at the uh, the series as it's written in time for Frank Herbert. Yeah, yeah, please. Because so, I enjoy those the most. Do you remember, not remember, do you know when we banned chemical weapons? <laughs> uh, I do not remember that. Um, wait, chemical weapons. I want to say that was pretty early on, I think. I want to say it was after World War One. Before World War Two. Mm -hmm. So we do we do have something there. And uh, it was uh, we have um, what do they end up calling that? I think the Geneva Protocol. Let's uh, see, let me just get a guess here. Yeah. Oh, are you just going for a year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 25. Okay. 1925. You are... Uh, ooh, I think dead on for when they signed it. Yeah. Oh, uh, hell yeah! It was signed in Geneva on June 17th, 1925, and entered into force on uh, February 8th, 1928. Oh, so this was the protocol for the prohibition and the use in war of, of asphyxiating poisonous or other gases and or bacteriological methods of warfare. So that's when you had mustard gas, and that was a huge thing. Yep. So we had the trench warfare through World yeah. War One, and we came out of that, and we uh, kind of had this first protocol put into place. And then it is sort of uh, superseded in 1968. We have um, an 18-nation uh, disarmament committee. 
Uh, and after numerous changes in name and composition, it becomes the Conference, uh, the Conference on Disarmament in 1984. So 84 is when about, uh, that's actually when the encyclopedia came out. Hey! When God Emperor. So that is pretty dramatic thinking that, like, oh, yeah, now you see what oh. I'm kind of building up to. Um, that it was that long uh, for us to re-talk about chemical weapons in warfare. Oh, my like, God. And I know, at least for you and I, I assume we have the kind of same uh, macro historical view where I, I'm, for me, I think of World War I as that first use of chemical warfare. Uh, I mean, I'm willing to believe there were well, incidents I mean, like, before, but just on like in, a grand in like, scale. Uh, international, like if you think about like when uh, settlers came and destroyed the uh, the native inhabitants of the Americas, like yeah, yeah, you yeah. smallpox blankets. Yeah, that or was, bacteriological yeah. would be what's in there. Yeah, but like I don't think they really gave a you know second thought about the morals and ethics. To them, it wasn't completely ethical, which is really really fucked. Yeah, yeah, I mean, which is kind of the problem. I mean, the problem here, too, is that people use that gas without yeah, thinking that, ethically. This was also only, what, uh, 60 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. From present? Yeah. Uh, oh, wait. Uh, well, that gets us to 68. So I'm just saying, in 1925, was that one for World War One? Oh, God. okay, never mind. 68 is sort of like when we got back to the table. And we were like, hey... We should probably talk about this again. Um, and this is sort of like, um, what were they? Surprised it took us Argument. that long. Yeah, and it was uh, the convention arguments uh, augments the Geneva Protocol of 1925 for chemical weapons and includes extensive verification measures for on-site inspections. Uh, it does not, however, cover biological weapons. So. Oh. In that one. Whoopsie. We'll get to that eventually, I'm sure. Um, but wait, I just question: uh, was yeah. there was there any uh, specific chemicals at that time that sort of brought up this discussion again, rekindled it? Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Oh uh, well, in Vietnam, we did uh, Agent Orange. I yeah. I'm not familiar enough with that actually. Um, eh, I don't think I can give you any too specific. There's a really amazing radio lab where uh, they actually it was a Vietnamese like reaccounting it happening and. Uh, it gets like really convoluted because like the uh, hosts of the show are trying to explain to him how that might not be what he saw, which really angers that guy because, well, he just wanted to be heard. And that's what and, he thought they were there for. Oh, and the and, guy started starting like, oh, you're wrong. Yeah. Like, very mansplaining it. No, no. Like they once they realized what they had done, they felt so fucking bad. Yeah. Like, they that, they oh. didn't mean it was in the moment. They didn't mean to. They were just trying to explain what their story was because they were making a radio show with like this specific angle. And it just so happened they talking to this guy. And it was really unfortunate. And they, they reached kind of common ground and. Ultimately, they gave that man a platform, and he tells his whole story, and it's it's amazing. It's really sad. Interesting. But ultimately, we were dropping chemicals, um, this like dust over the jungle, and it would just like it would incinerate their skin. Uh, I think it was like to kill the foliage and stuff, like so, a type of napalm almost. No, like it was like a powder. Like I think it uh, just deteriorates like foliage, so then our troops can march through, and there wouldn't be shit that oh. like you know I don't know if it kills like mosquitoes, the bugs, whatever. But like it also got all over the people that we dumped it on. Because they were all out right. there. Oh, God. So that that's a huge one. We denied it, too, uh, all the way through because we loved a lie. Uh, that's the American way. We won that war, right? <laughs> Last I checked. <laughs> What's that Billy Joel song? 
Um, not so hot. That's really so. Really dumb. I I thought that was just uh really interesting, and uh, he made me just kind of. I wanted to know what the 1960s opinion of uh, biological weapons were. And initially, I just found that 1968 aspect and was like, wait, they really had nothing for it. But all I could find otherwise was our impression coming out of World War One hmm. and building into it. Um, and so I think it is kind of revealing that uh, he puts it in there with the nobility kind of contemplating that. And maybe that is uh, his view of how callous power can make you. You know, now I think about it, that is the time when we had a lot more uh, protests on war. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, so I think maybe that was rekindled just for the matter of fact of, oh, like, everyone is angry and talking about this. We need to talk, which is what should happen. I wonder where uh, Frank lines up with the anti-war part, just because I know he is not a hippie whatsoever. Well, no, yeah, we, we established that he wasn't, that he mm-hmm. wasn't sort of part of that uh, that generation. Yeah, that or the free love movement or any of that. Right. And so I don't know where he lands on the war part either. But, like, I'm, I'm sure he still had opinions and thoughts, though. That's my point. And I wonder yeah, yeah. how that influenced his writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll we'll have to dig into that. Uh, I I really want to know why that line is there. Um, it is so strange, and reading it through just really mm. it really stuck out to me. Uh, and it's just so bizarre that like yeah, Arrakis is gonna keep us moral because I can't kill my population. It's like it's just so messed up. Yeah, and I'm 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 thinking that that is uh, it's got to be Frank looking through the eyes of a leader and just being like, this is how callous they can be. Hmm. Like, I think, yeah, I think you're right that there is a, there's a lot of it, a satire when it comes to Leto. Cause he is like the, the leader that we see the most mm-hmm. of right now. Kind of the Duke of it. Yeah. And I mean, right at that moment, he sounds, that's so more I would expect from the Baron. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, again, this is part of it too. He's desperate and we're starting to really see how desperate he is. Mm hmm. I mean, he's pushed into a corner. Can't be any traitors if they're all dead. And I mean, we've we've talked before of like uh, how dangerous it is when you don't leave someone a way out either. Yeah. Like you've pushed him into the back and there's not a way for him to escape. He's going to fight with every inch of it. So, uh, yeah, Leto, I, like I said, he just I think he just needed someone to say all these words to. I, he needed to get this off his chest. I'm curious here because it says Paul started to speak, but the Duke cut him off saying, I have someone I can say these things to, son. Or I have to have someone. Sorry. I have to have someone I can say these things to, son. Mm-hmm. And inside, what was Paul going to say, I wonder? What was his reaction to What does is, is it start when he cuts off? Is it just like the TH or? Um, no, it's like uh, the Duke completes his sentence. Arrakis makes this moral, moral and ethical. Paul starts to speak, but the Duke cut him off saying that's how it's written. I, I, I bet he was just going to say, you need to go to dad, go to bed. <laughs> like dad, you're tired. Dad, you need to sleep. Oh God. Uh, and yeah. Paul, he's not wrong. Like he is adre- like assessing this very accurately. Uh, but Lito, he's, he's not done yet. And uh, now we get my favorite moment of every chapter. Mike, we look out the window. And uh, <laughs> again, again, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, it's gonna be looking out past that balcony we were standing out last time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I kind of even confused this a little bit at the end of last week, uh, where uh, all the flowers remember there were those puddles of red and uh, was it red and ochre, red no, and, and violet footsteps like the treads, uh, yeah. And now they've all been trampled and they're wilting in the sun. Wait, really? Yeah, wait, how were they trampled by all the dew collectors? 
So I, I don't know what the... Do they grow back? Like, how did they collect the dew? I don't know what the process is. That's why I imagine it's very much like a, a quick flowering weed or something. Genetically modified to, like, grow overnight. Yeah, modified or adjusted like itself. water. Like, yeah, there, I mean, there's some plants that... Um, there is one, I know that... Uh, it, it's not really the same in the sense, but it it, uh, it flowers at like midnight once a year or something. Oh, that sounds really cool. Yeah, I think it's like an orchid or something, and like people line up and they wait for it, and wow. this thing like goes really quickly one night, uh, and then it's over. Um, so I wonder if these just are like a kind of thing like that, where something triggers it, like when there's just enough water, it that's like it's go time. I have like this one hour to live essentially, uh, and then we go take the dew from it, and whoop, never mind, you had thirty seconds. And shorten that one up. And I think, uh, you know, we saw them going out with scythes last time. Right. Now we're looking. Instruments of death. And now their job is complete. Now they're dead. And I think Leto, much like uh, Thufir Hawa in that one chapter, there's Stand I. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. That's really good, Derek. Oh, thank you, Mike. (laughs) I do it for you, sir. Wow. And uh, then... We continue on with this lesson. Uh, we're teaching Paul everything right now. This is his, uh, yeah, the last will and testament of Leto Atreides. He says, on Caladan, we ruled with sea and air power. And uh, I hate this next part, Mike. Mm-hmm. Here we must <laughs> scrabble for desert power. Uh, and they're going to keep saying this word. That <laughs> sounds like it. a Space Force, Derek. <laughs> just as, yeah, it's just as good as Space Force. Space Force! Oh, which I heard flopped. <laughs> Uh, oh, I don't even. I haven't even been following that. So he says, "This is your inheritance, Paul. What is to become of you if anything <laughs> happens to me? You'll not be a renegade house, but a gorilla house, running, hunted. That's awesome, uh, Paul. No words. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to find words, but he can't. Oh man, never has he seen his father so despondent. Oh. <sighs> And this is hard. Yeah, because, I mean, we every other moment we were with uh, Paul waiting for the Duke, he was so excited to see his dad. Oh, he's talking about how great it is when dad's around. And, oh, man, this has been tough. I mean, during the meeting, he even said, like, this was, the, like, the first time that defeat felt like a very real possibility. Yeah, uh, to his own assessment. To his own assessment. That and now like, he gets this. Is like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, oh, dad agrees. He's kind of maybe even seeing that. That's why I feel like this is his last will and testament. If you took out everything except for Leto's dialogue, I've in like put it in a uh, like letter format. I feel like that's what this would be. It's kind of each thing. Yeah, I'm actually, I, you know, after this is done, I'm going to do that and do see it. what Let's it actually it sounds uh, like. You put it into one like letter. <laughs> Dearest Paul, uh, <laughs> from from Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the Duke is telling him, uh, what do we got? To hold Arrakis, one is faced with decisions that may cost one his self-respect. So how did uh, how did you take that? I don't I don't know if I agree with him wholeheartedly, but I kind of know what the expectation is or what Paul has to look forward to. Right. Well, everything about him is bravura and appearances. So I think and the imperial way. And the Imperial, like the Farfalich's cast. Yeah. So, like, I think he sees any aspect of living outside of that as, like, cost yourself respect. Right. And, like, here's the thing. Like, you may do things that you're not proud of. And he was just talking about moral and ethical decisions regarding poisoning an entire population. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I it's Maybe 
I don't know if this is words of advice or a word of warning or both somehow. Yeah, I mean, it's just that it's so internalized that, mm-hmm. it, you know, this isn't about other people looking at you and judging you. This is about you. Do you think he, you think he himself is going to make the decision that costs him his self-respect? I don't know. Do you think he already has? Mm-hmm. I, I feel I feel like running away would have been if he had if he had uh, right. given into his love to Jessica. And this might, have, this might just be him saying, like, sometimes it's OK to, like, turn and run. But at the same time, I want you to live. That's the thing. Like, maybe, he like, doesn't want Paul to fight to the death. He wants Paul to live to see another day. And that is, an, in, even though he would fight to the death. Even though he even would though fight he's to going the death. to. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to go into the Corita no matter what. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't know any other way. And he doesn't. He doesn't. So How old was he when he killed Amorte? <laughs> uh, We're going to keep bringing that I character know, back, Derek. I'm not letting him uh, go. I believe, uh, no, he was 16 when he was sent on the mission as representative. I think he was either like 18 or 22 when he became the Duke. And then said, wait, hold that bolt. I seek Conley. <laughs> <laughs> and then the judge of the right came over. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then he killed the ball in the ring. Uh, so I, I think in his mid-20s, uh, early 20s, somewhere right in there. Um, and uh, then he points out the window to the Atreides green and black banner hanging limply from a staff at the edge of the landing field. I, that, I think this is another symbol here. Oh, that flag just sort of hanging limply. Oh, yeah, the limply yeah. part. Yep, I think is uh, is him for sure. Him or the house. Granted, it is probably literal, but I'm just saying, like, I we've even had so we, much even, symbolism with yeah. Leto. I think it's we shouldn't gloss over it. The uh, the patina of much use. Exactly. Uh, all those little things that uh, silver armorial crest. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the bits we come back to. None of those have any sort of deprecation to them. Limply is just very weak and defeated. Yeah, it just sounds like it's bare. Th- that's him right now. Mm-hmm. And he says that honorable banner could come to mean many evil things, depending on your choices. Which I mean, he's considered even. Like you don't say that sentence without some sort of like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess without uh, knowing what that means. Yeah, he didn't just come up with this on the fly, Derek. He gave this some thought. These are my prepared words <laughs> for my son. And, uh, oh, then this whole, I took kind of this whole last chapter, or last couple paragraphs, uh, it just goes back and forth. And then it ends on a really, the last line I'm not a fan of. Normally I love how Frank ends chapters. Uh, this just kind of ends with like, uh, this guy's late. Where is he? Uh, and (laughs) where's that dude? Yeah. Uh, okay. But, uh, before that we have Paul swallowed in a dry throat. His father words, his father's words carried futility, a sense of fatalism. And that left the boy with an empty feeling in his I chest. think we've had more symbols of death and uh, end in this chapter than the entire book so far. Mm-hmm. When is this going down? The Air King crisis is coming really soon, I feel. It's, like we're, it's, I feel like we're on a countdown. Do you, uh, so that is one of the things uh, in an interview with Frank Herbert Davery is talking about the book. He uh, explains that he did it in three different writing styles, which I don't know if I could fully identify. Uh, but that he ramps up the pace as it goes intentionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I can feel it. You w- yeah, yeah, definitely in like comparing the first three chapters to where we are, the first six chapters oh, to where yeah. we are. Like, you know, like uh, that was really slog uh, right. through the beginning of that one room. And now, yeah, we are moving really quickly. And at this point, it just seems like uh, 
everybody's already lost so much hope and we just got here. Like you mm -hmm. and I have just walked around the house and we're like, wait, what, how did we lose already? Like what happened? It's day one. Day one, well day two, but. <laughs> Technically we're in day two now. Yeah. Wow, wait a second. So we've only had three days total in, that we've actually been a part of in this book. That we've viewed, yeah. We did uh, day one, which was uh, seven days prior to departure. Six days? No, because a week passes, right? And then we're leaving. Six days in a week, right? No, but then it's a week passes. We're leaving tomorrow. Oh, okay. Oh, I got you. Oh, now you are the master. <laughs> Calendars no more. Oh, Derek, hang on to it tight because it's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we had that day. We then, uh, like I said, we jump forward the week, and we're with Thufir, who's telling us tomorrow we're leaving. Right. So, uh, so we're in the morning room with Jessica. And guys, hello, Mahayam. Yes. And we were there for a couple chapters, and we even have a flashback back to that and same we, day. Yep, dip back. But then we're also in the training room for several chapters. Yep, another another four. We, we skip the, the flight altogether, and we're just Who day cares? one Nothing on cool. Arrakis. We're, yeah. That's the day that we just finished. And we skip the morning. <laughs> we skip the morning. So technically, we have we have been present for 24 yeah, hours. Yeah, 24, sure. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm just, like, that's wild. We yeah. are on, what, number 14 now? And I only know this because of the bottle that I picked. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling the wine. Perfect. I'm feeling the wine. But that's wild to think about. That it, we, a lot, like, a lot has ha happened. Not even, I guess, because uh, I'm like, I was going to say it. Or we've been like, fed That is lot. such a vague thing to say. But no, more like Paul. Just watch that, uh, the rise and fall of where he's come. I thought it was kind of funny when you said like, in chapter one, this is going to be the most normal day that Paul ever Paul's has, and I kind Dom of Jabbar, yeah. <laughs> old woman stranger comes to your house, puts a needle to your neck. Those are the good old days. I'm going to poison you. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I do miss Castle Caliban now. Do yeah. Remember when we were only going to poison one person? <laughs> that was so nice. Wow. And uh, so now we get to, oh, gets even worse. So the Duke, he takes an anti-fatigue tablet. Yeah, we mentioned that. First person to take one, because <laughs> Paul doesn't take them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he gulps it dry. Mm -hmm. And then he says, power and fear, the tools of statecraft. Ooh. That, to me, that's got to be from Savers of Paradise. Have you gotten to that? Or no, no, no. But like, the, keep an eye out for it. The way that's set up, that is like how she has been writing through mm -hmm. it. And I'm like, it seems uh, like that style is different from the rest of how he spoke. I'm it. impressed at how much is actually in Savers of Paradise. Mm -hmm. I haven't read it myself, but you just keep saying like, Mike, Mike, you gotta hear this. A little bit. Let me show you this line. Let <laughs> yeah. me show you this paragraph I found. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, of uh, that one great one that I found was, uh, it starts talking about Catherine the first. Catherine the first son, Paul. Really? Yeah, so that was like a... Wow. Ooh, very different Paul, though. That guy sucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah. going on. But uh, power and fear is what I was talking about. And uh, these are tools of statecraft. And uh, then he tells Paul, like, I must order new emphasis on guerrilla training for you. Oh, boy. He's going to have to play by some very different rules. And guerrilla warfare, that's not really an Atreides thing. That's not a honorable thing to do that's the way to, i think to pigeon that's not honorable like gurney yeah. would not uh gurney not... wouldn't no yeah. actually gurney <laughs> we both we both just caught their head like wait a second that is kind of like, gurney he did kind of gorilla lead his way out it's just that artistry with a tip that's it's, definitely it's what we were playing you, yeah, off yeah. of he had some sort of like uh noble thing to dueling yeah uh, that like i don't think duncan i think there, yeah there is something honorable in a duel 
and like that that is the the duality of gurney where like having that noble heritage but also being as low as you can go both and climbing uh, within your way back and out. without the frau frau yeah. he fits in everywhere Oh, um, Gurney is just a really dynamic character. I love him. So but. one of the uh, first uh, dives I did after I read Dune was into Lawrence of Arabia, uh, which I had heard. No, I've never actually read that. Uh, that's not the book. Uh, that is a guy. Yeah. No, didn't he have a series of journals, though? Oh, yeah, he did. Uh, he wrote a um, sort of a autobiography called um, the shortened version of it is, I believe, The Desert on Fire. And then his, uh, the full uh, unabridged uh, one was Seven Pillars of Wisdom. Seven Pillars of Wisdom, I think, is the one I'm familiar with. Okay. With the name, at least. I haven't, like I said, I haven't, like, read any of it. I think, again, that might have been, I told, I own Lawrence that. of Arabia is the name of the movie. Yep. And it's also his, like, the title. That his, he moniker. His, yeah. his moniker. His yeah. moniker. His uh, moniker. So his name is Thomas Edward Lawrence. Right. T.E. Lawrence. And uh, he got that title uh, kind of cheekily. But um, one of the bits about him um, that I really loved, and I've kind of lost it uh, going into this now. Uh, oh, found it, was that uh, he, oh. he, uh, he learned guerrilla warfare, and he actually ended up writing a book on guerrilla warfare that was used by the military. So he was operating in World War One and was leading the uh, son of the Sheik of Mecca, this guy named Amir Fiesel. And... Um, Thomas Edward Lawrence were fighting up through the Ottoman Turks. And so he wrote this book on guerrilla warfare. And the ultimate quote I wanted to give you here is the way he described guerrilla warfare. Okay. He said it was like eating soup with a knife. Okay. In what way? Like that is just how difficult it is to fight a guerrilla war, especially Mm. for the bigger side fighting the smaller side. Right. It's so different than what you're used to. It doesn't use any of the tools that are proper for what they need to be. I guess if you're the bowl of soup, you're doing pretty okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the whole point is that you're just like, you're shaking up and you're doing the exact opposite of normal warfare. Um, so for them, uh, they focused, there was one train track that ran down from the Ottoman Empire to Medina in uh, Saudi Arabia. I can't imagine how much fighting happened around that territory alone, like an entire strip, pretty much. So that's all they targeted. And then even more so, Mike. If you target the bends in the track, it's harder to get those pieces of metal down there, so it takes longer to fix. So you attack a bend in the track even more so. Hey, you want to go even further? A bridge. And those were like his little key points for it. Uh, But really, I just wanted to share that quote with you on uh, eating soup Hmm. with a knife. And uh, the works he wrote, I think they stuck around past like uh, like Vietnam. If you were to apply that to like a duel almost, like... Don't go for like trying to slash their like arms or the legs. Go for the elbows. Go for their knees. Go for something that will completely cripple them. Hmm. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't speak to that at all. Uh, I don't think I've ever really been in a fight, Mike. Oh, no, me neither. All right. Uh, but yeah, uh, just that that unexpectedness of just trying to like not necessarily trick them, but like a bank on what they are going to count on, and play to that. Uh, and then emphasizing your weakness is your strength. Their strength is their weakness. So they had that track. That's awesome. That bend in the track. That's the only one you got, though. Hit that. Hmm. So the uh, Duke kind of uh, trucking us back here. Sorry for that tangent. So it looks like he's already given Paul the film clip. Call, Paul started this chapter sort of That's what he, he was watching. Yeah, yeah, he's watching Because we started this thinking of uh, those three words. Yeah. Mati, Lisan Gaib, and then uh, we're jumping in Kwisat Haderach. Yeah. 
uh, and then just tickling the uh, terrible purpose that whole time. <laughs> tickling the terrible purpose. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> not a euphemism. <laughs> no. Well, I don't whoa, know. Whoa, sand, whoa. sand in your mattress? It could be another one. <laughs> oh, um, the Duke tells him, though, they call you Mahdi, Lisan al Gaib. As a last resort, you might capitalize on that. Mm. Like, whoa, that is. That seems far outside of the normal ways the Duke is going to operate. Uh, the Duke would probably never do that. But that's okay, what I'm saying. But here's the thing: Lady Jessica would, and she she kind of has. Yeah, like she followed, like she played along with the prophecy pattern that uh, Mapes presented her. Like, oh, I know what this is from. I know what I'm supposed to sort of say and act. I'm gonna go ahead and do that. I I don't think she told the Duke about that at all. Though. Oh, she no, she never did. Right. But I'm just saying, like, you're uh, you're alluding to the Duke would probably never want to do this. Right, right. Saying as the last resort. Lady Jessica just, boom, did it. Now right, she, right. Well, that's, yeah, that's her MO. That's totally what she's going to do. But I'm just saying, I think in this, like, this is the second time where, like, I also said in the beginning, I kind of thought, like, how he said Jessica needs to suffer this hurt so she doesn't have a greater hurt. These are, like, two Bene Gesserit-esque moments for him of just a little bleeding through, a little influence. So he's telling him, like, he's seeing, like, you, you use that religion mm. and you just... Break that if that lets you live. I feel like uh, somewhere guys in Helmaheim is just nodding, like, mm hmm, yeah, okay, all right. Just like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think she knew all that right when she left. Oh, she already knew all this. Yeah. She already knows how this entire thing's going to end. Mm, no. No? You don't she, think so? I think she's got, she got, she is pretty far down the line. There's some. Did we did establish, does she have prescience? Yes, limited. Yeah. Uh, no one is going to have prescience like Paul. Okay, because he is like so close towards that like nexus. Yeah, yeah, he's so unique and different. Uh, he's always that's always going to be like kind of right. my exception for Paul. Like he's just Paul. Uh, I don't know what else to tell know. you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, he gets to look down both lanes. He kind of has unabridged access to it. Like, and uh, a few other rules get broken as we go. Um, so Paul, he's staring at his father. He's watching his shoulders uh, tighten, and he's seeing that tablet kick in uh which i think is interesting so like <laughs> as the tablet did its work <laughs> yeah and it's like uh all that stuff we saw in the duke the dark eyes the slump shoulders and stuff like the cynical smile like that's probably oh, all like kicking out real you know quick. who i bet gave him that tablet though dr yui and he's like i don't know why there's more in here than when i, I swear i gave paul one but uh <laughs> <laughs> do you wait oh man do you think he's gonna uh wait no oh, okay wait a What's second up? here you have a hold on, let's uh mm. let's just get to the end of this this seems yeah. like you have a yui thought to yeah, go yeah, on yeah yeah um big game hunter yep uh but uh so he's watching his tablet do his work and all the time remembering the words of fear and doubt so his dad has like i feel um just made this impression on paul that maybe he's not even fully aware because you know he doesn't see how broken right. he is right now that paul is never gonna forget this is and a, colors his whole like lesson he was trying to give him right this also i think based off of the uh the quote we had this is like a moment uh for paul because everything we have by princess irlan so far i it did not pass me by that this was a new book by princess irlan Ooh, oh which it one? is from collected sayings of muadib okay this is paul's quote yeah. Oh, uh, yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, Mike, that's good. Where were you in the beginning of this chapter, Mike? <laughs> I was cracking into 14 horses, <laughs> watching the race. 
But no, uh, I just, I think that's so. Then interesting. that is definitely Paul like talking about yeah. this moment here. The, so yeah. this was a life defining moment for him, where he started to see things differently and have that moment of like. Do you think it's a culminative of the day or just I mean, a side it, meeting? It's been a long day. No, Let's, no. Well, but realistically, it's been like the the staff meeting on when I, Paul has been I, interacting with Leto today. I think. Because from the sounds of it, maybe Paul- not just the day. Because okay, mm-hmm. if we look back to chapter one and that quote, um, we must make sure the balances are correct. Going back, if you were to understand Muad'Dib, this is the moment like where we start from to understand this guy's journey. Not like mm-hmm. any earlier. Not like when they're on Arrakis at that moment when Guy's Helmahayam enters. Yeah, when she enters the fold. When she that's can- when his life changed in when, his eyes. When he's confirmed as a human. Yeah. Yeah. That that I think was the moment yeah. there. Okay. That that I think that's the threshold for our adventure. Like if we were going to make we're, a Joseph Campbell When we're like done with this cycle, book, yeah. I want to do a chapter 1 part 2 and just sort of like revisit it based off of our I mean I guess oh. it's like part like 17 for you or whatever. I was like, yeah. you want to you want to be in the I want to step into the Derek yeah. Can we switch places actually? Well, we can get another new person. Yeah. Just, oh. <laughs> oh. Season Derek. two, Mike. Like season it. two. We had a third person. Oh, this is so good. I like this. <laughs> you lecture them and I just chime in every time. Yeah. <laughs> Scrolling from like, uh-huh. Yep. Doing <laughs> great, guys. It. Doing great. Wine, please. Wine, <laughs> Servak. Um, yeah. Uh, so what do you have for a Yui thought? Oh, the Yui thought. Okay, so that uh, that pill that he took, the fatigue pill. Yes. Like you said, Yui like is able to like put everything together, like mm-hmm. take uh, raw ingredients, materials, and be like, oh, I can use this for this. Mm-hmm. So he probably either bought that pill or made that pill himself. Sure. And I assume since he's the soup doctor, high up on the tier list. He's definitely the one who's giving that to Leto. Yep. Leto does not suspect him. He trusts him. Mm-hmm. He even said, like, yeah, Paul can go with Dr. Yui. That's fine. Not so, even that. Uh, and he, he said, Hawa, you, you decide. Yeah. Like, I'll, even, so I'll even leave that to you because yeah. I trust this guy so much. So, oh, my God. I'm thinking that. All right. My thought initially was, can Dr. Yui poison him? But he just said that you can't, like. Everyone starts to gain an immunity, Ooh. but he hasn't been there very long. Exactly. Though. That I think you really got to couch in the fact we've been there for less than a, I think, or a day. I think Dr. Le- or Dr. Leto. Dr. Leto. <laughs> the plot thickens. What was it last week? Louis. <laughs> I think Leto is going to be poisoned. That's how he's going to die. I would die. like if you keep blaming Louis for things. <laughs> yeah. That's just going to be a big thing. If and This is a podcast that I can't tell. I am shaking my fist <laughs> on the ceiling when I say that. But I think that uh, Dr. Yui is going to poison Leto. And I think it's probably going to be like an anti-fatigue pill. Ooh, it's like getting him somewhere where he's right, comfortable. Right, and kind of. In or the... maybe, I guess, well, uh, yeah, something you would take like in a point where like things are like rough or hard, like like an adrenaline shot or something to keep him awake. Something that he's going to need in a dire situation that he has every like uh, confidence in. And I think that's what's going to just... Uh, kill him or debilitate him and leave like the final blow to like uh, a starter car, like captain or something or the to beast Raban who you've mentioned. Ooh, the so, beast Raban. Well, uh, you, you've mentioned the beast Raban to me a couple times. Yes. Have we actually mentioned him in this book at all? Nope. 
I didn't think so. Because no. I just know the Beaster Bond from what you've said. Yeah. We haven't met him yet. No, no, still building. Okay, but I imagine he's going to be in this book at some point. Yeah, don't get, like, too amped up. Okay. Uh, he's what? just the dude. Yeah, well, it's just like, uh... I guess all I'm going to hope he'll for... He'll be less than El Muerte, probably, uh, but he'll be around. <laughs> uh, more than Mapes, less than El Muerte. Always bringing it back to El Muerte. Yeah. I think what I'm really going to uh, hope for is just, I guess... At the bare minimum, I just want to see Gurney Halleck and Beast Bond at least oh, have like, an eye to eye uh, settle that thing. score, yeah, kind something of deal. there. I just want something along mm-hmm. those lines because I think that would be super epic based off what I know. Yeah, uh, yeah, because we when we saw them in the pit and right. we got that Inkfine scar. And and here's my doing some uh, backwards engineering here. Um, I don't know what happens in the remainder of this book. But if the author of that sec- of Gurney Halleck's section in the Dune Encyclopedia felt it was necessary enough to have that bad blood between the Beast Bond and Gurney Halleck, mm. then in that point, I feel so like that that bad blood is uh, from Dune as well. Like that is canon beyond just the encyclopedia. But we we don't know that yet, though. It will be in here, though. Oh, okay. Like his history with the Beast. Okay. Not to the full extent that we went through with like him okay. staring him down, spitting in his face, getting the ink vine. Okay. But the Beast Raban gave him the ink vine scar in the slave and that is pits. Canon, absolutely. Yeah, in the okay. slave pits of Harkonnen. Okay. That is actually cool because like I would have assumed that was just like some random author's entry in the Dune Encyclopedia. You think like a little too much license? But that is legit yeah. Frank Herbert. Yeah. The, so uh, the, okay. the broad strokes are Frank. That Herbert. is good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so then, like, I tell you just the specifics of him, like, staring him down and, like, yada, yada, right. like, going to the Emerald Mine, I didn't know, and, uh, the fate of Annette, I didn't right. know. But obviously, Annette is mentioned in, the, or no, his sister. We didn't get a name either. Uh, that's true. So I, I like that we can give her a name, though. That is kind of, that's nice that we don't have to just call you her, You know like, who Gurney's else deserves a name? Sister. Um, the Corsman? Uh, oh, uh, Duncan Idaho's diplomat who got promoted? No, that's Louis. We decided that's Louis. Louis. Oh, Louis. No. I'm shaking my fist now. The governor's daughter, whom Duncan Idaho who seduced Duncan to Idaho escape. Seduced. We never gave her a name, and I, I feel an injustice there. That was Esmeralda. Es- Esmeralda. <laughs> oh, how can I forget? But we left her there, apparently, because there's no other mention of that. No, I think he took her with, and they broke up on Caladan. Maybe. Because they were living out in the fields for six months. Yeah. So, granted, he might have left her in a year out there. Like. After the honeymoon state, they're just like, oh, God. But, like, well, we're out here together. We're stuck. So, <laughs> got to survive. That's awkward. It's like when you break up with someone when you're living together with them. No, it's awkward like- when he broke up after a week, not realizing it was going to be six months. <laughs> no, Gurney, <laughs> no, he's got to be here tomorrow. I'm just doing it now. <laughs> we're going to die out here, aren't we? <laughs> Oh, and like these beautiful, I just imagine it's like the most like uh, lush green, like uh, verdant fields too. Because all it said was they were like endless plains. Bags of their eyes like, uh. <laughs> uh. Until you hear that Balisette chime in over the horizon. <laughs> you make it sound like it was a flight of the Valkyries, like Gertie Howe's coming down, <gasps> riding on top of a spaceship, playing his Balisette like, hey, I got you. <laughs> No, he would actually start by quoting something from the Bible, probably. Yeah, it'd be something really yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, don't. Just as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. As he comes from the heavens down. <laughs> oh, Gertie. All right. Enough of Ooh. this, though, Mike. That was no, wait, a good. Wait, what was uh, the last sentence here? You said oh, uh, that I hate you the didn't last like sentence, it. Mike. Yeah, why are we going to read it then? Oh, but well, no, well says, we should read it. He says, uh, it's the Duke. So after all of that, um, and Paul, we so I wish it stopped with Paul remembering the words of fear and doubt. I think that is an amazing, just like boom, and we're left with that. Um, 
Paul kind of just getting sandbagged there. And then I think with your recollection of that, uh, it being a saying at the front of the chapter, mm-hmm. that makes that sort of very full circle that you can go back and yeah, forth. Yeah, no, with. I think that would have been really, really nice. Instead, it ends with the following line. It's the Duke Leto, and he goes, What's keeping the ecologist? The Duke muttered. I told Thufir to have him here early. Oh, Dr. Kynes. It is Dr. Kynes. We're going to meet Dr. Kynes? We are going to meet Dr. Kynes. This next chapter? Yeah. Oh! Oh, he's right around the corner. So that's the last player we need, because we got Duncan. Well, Dr. Kynes. Um, uh, Beast Robon hasn't been mentioned yet, so he's not actually technically in this. Sure. Um, That's... I guess, yeah, it's like major, because he's judge of the change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's it, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I don't think there's anyone uh, lingering on the sidelines that hasn't showed up yet. We got to meet Stilgar. No, no, no. Um, <clears throat> we need to find out if uh, what's the uh, Fremen uh, uh, leader god? Oh, Liet. Liet. So we all still have Liet as well. We've late and the uh, the girl that um, Paul saw in his dream. She count or I it? might have played that part in post that you you know you uh, announced. I already I already knew the. The name of that. Oh, person. then yeah, yeah. But I just mean that we have to. We haven't met her yet, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, like, at least as the one person that we've been alluded to, the girl to, from the dream, the girl from the, the dream. Oh, what was the uh, the name uh, of what? Uh, it was Sahaya. Sihaya. Sihaya. That's like the pet name for her. Yes. Yeah. Being yeah. like, uh, it's like the Fremen springtime. Yeah, that's right. With uh, religious overtones, I believe is how you colored it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those are all of our players. Uh, everyone's almost here, Mike. We're almost ready to have a party. We're yeah. almost ready to have a dinner party, but I get ahead of myself. Oh, is that coming up here shortly? It's really close. Oh, I'm actually really looking forward to that. You, you better be. <laughs> <laughs> I would be a little Wait, disappointed so if you were. There's like, a chops game at some point in this book. Is it at the dinner party no, or like prior? No, Mike, well, not like that would be the worst dinner party in the world if there were two people playing chess in the middle of dinner. Okay, no, I'm an anime fanatic, and in Code Geass, they <gasps> everyone around. Oh, oh, whoa, was me. They had an. They had a chess game in the middle of a party. Oh, God. It happens, and it was really epic. Well, that's not going to happen here. Uh, no, okay. The, the Cheops game uh, happens off screen. Okay. Uh-huh. But remember, someone dies. At the party? No, at the Cheops game. Oh, I told right. you, I told you someone lost their life <laughs> over it. Oh, man. I hope I'm not wrong, too. Uh, we'll figure that out when we get there. <laughs> You've been like hyping this up for several chapters. Yeah, but it's so far away. That's the problem. <laughs> Just hoping I'll forget it. <laughs> and if you keep bringing it up, Mike, you make my job harder. <laughs> uh, but so I've gone through. I got some for us. If you oh, can uh, join me, a deep dive, if you yeah. will. Oh, is there anything else you want to cover in the chapter? No, actually, that was good. I mean, it's a pretty short chapter. I'm amazed we've been talking for this long. To be That's completely true. frank, Herbert. <laughs> oh, oh, I did it! Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> Refill my glass. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna close my book because I think that's all I had to talk about done. on that. That's one. all you need. You might need some glossary words. I have prepared a little dive for us, Mike. What do we got? We're I'm all excited. done with the chapter. Have you heard of the Assassin's Handbook? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, you have because yes. you heard of assassins. <laughs> We have some masters of assassins, and they all read this book, Mike. So, I wanted to know a little bit about it, and uh, Leto actually referenced it today. Because he told us that uh, if you eat enough spice, all the most common poisons in the assassin's handbook. Wait, he didn't say the assassin's handbook. Yes, he most No, he did not. You gonna go back? Yeah, I am. You gonna open that book back up that you closed? 
Yeah, no, I, I gotcha. Okay. Just keeping that record on this. Damn it, Derek! <laughs> you don't get a point. <laughs> don't worry, the satisfaction on my face is fucking plenty. That's why I chose the fucking category, Mike. I'm really surprised you wanted to push back on that. What were you thinking he might have said? The common poison. Just common poison. Just assassin poison. I thought he just a common poison. Okay. Period. Of the assassin's handbook. Okay. That was a really, that was like as bad as when I just wanted to really lay down on whale fur. And I was willing to like <laughs> die on that hill. <laughs> okay. So, assassin's handbook. You've heard of it. Leto's heard of it. Through fears. I haven't heard of it apparently. apparently. It's new to you. All right. Um, so this was originally compiled in uh, the third millennium after Guild. Okay. So we're going 3,000. And uh, it was basically just information on uh, all the poisons uh, that could aid an assassin in his job. It's kind of just like a Wikipedia for poison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just go in, hey, I need something that goes into this. Oh, cool. This is what I want. Wait, and- do all assassins contribute to it? So, no, 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 we have, uh, I got a few authors uh, I can uh, attribute it to, and then I'll kind of lead you into how it's done nowadays in, like, the current world. Okay. So, uh, it became a very widely circulated among, like, the houses, among mercenaries, and assassin schools, because right. obviously, useful information, uh, mm-hmm. just covering all of these. And, uh, yeah, guys even says, like, you're noble, you know your poisons then. Yeah, yeah. we brought up uh, Chalmurky and uh, Chalmus, Chalmus right in the uh, yeah, beginning. Of, much like, to my dismay, I, I really dropped the ball on that one. I didn't realize how easy of a word that was. <laughs> They're my bread and butter, <laughs> literally. Um, so authorship at first uh, for this original document that was compiled is attributed to uh, Keshas Zor. Zors? Z H. O R Z H. Zorge? Zorge? Yeah. It's like, it's uh, it's weird. It looks, it, I almost wanted to say it was a palindrome, but it's not. It has that Z H Z H. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but they're both uh, you, in the well, same order. What Z H? Isn't that like a. No, wait, I'm, I'm, I may be thinking of it like an X. I, I feel like it's a Z kind of sound. Like, uh, that I think is X, making like a, like yeah. a Z is in like a Xi Jinping yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of deal. Uh, yeah, I, I think we would just like. Combined, the H is almost kind of silent, and it just becomes like a Zor and a Zor. But anyway, I'm I'm curious to see where that came from. Uh, do you know what house he works for? Is it silly? No, uh, we just we covered it last week. It's oh um, oh oh wait 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 what the, what the, wait a second give me a second. There were a couple <clears throat> that I threw at you last week. Yeah, what did we talk about? Because uh, we had the one that uh, who are the sword masters? Gamon. Ganaz. Ganaz. Gamon? Oh, Gamon. <laughs> <laughs> they are sword masters of a different kind. That is a euphemism. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, Ganaz. Ganaz, not Gamon. Ganaz. And uh, they fought a house. And that is actually who I'm alluding to. So, uh, Idaho, he, this was the first war of assassins that he fought in. And it was against House uh, Moritani. All right. Moritani. Moritani. So they employed this guy. That's Larry Sasson who writes this first book. And uh, he was suspected of several high-ranking murders of aristocrats, mm-hmm. including uh, members of House Ganaz, House uh, Herzog, and House Atreides. Herzog. Is that something familiar to you? 
I think it's German. I think it means heart, but I could be wrong. Ooh, cool. Probably. Yeah. Heart? Yeah. Herzog. Like, hold to it. I could be wrong. I'm going to Google this uh, real quick to save face. You, you got time. <laughs> like, did you want? Uh, ironically, uh, Keshas was poisoned with chow murky. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh, no. He died in 3956 AG. <laughs> so uh, this book uh, sticks around. It's passed from assassin to assassin. Uh, it's propagated throughout the universe. And about 2,000 years go by before it's actually expanded upon. But when Emperor Kalal... Oh. When Emperor Kalal... Um, oh, this is going to be a hard one. Oh, boy. Javordvich. Javordvich? Emperor Kalal Javordvich. Uh, D-J-O-R-D-J-E-V-I-C-H. Javordvich. And uh, he discusses... He, um, Appointed a committee, essentially. Oh. Uh, oh, did you get it right? What was his name? Uh, what was the house name? Herzog. Herzog. H e r z o g. And what is the what was the uh, the ti- noble title that they had? Baron or count or duke? Oh, I, I wasn't given a title for it. It just tells me that they were a great house. Uh, so it is a German word, but I I recognized it from the filmmaker Herzog, William okay. Herzog. Uh, it is uh it is German, in fact. Guess what it means? Heart. Duke. Duke! Oh! <laughs> so I like to imagine his name was Duke Duke. <gasps> that would be great <laughs> and so right on for the encyclopedia on naming people. <laughs> I'm just like really lazy. They don't care. Oh, they like the numbers. I'm surprised the bowl wasn't the Spanish word for bowl. Bull Taurus. Bull Taurus. I mean, I guess they named the Duke that. Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, man. Oh. Uh, as much as I love That's... the fun stories we get from the encyclopedia, we do always have to remember, it is not by hey, Frank Herbert. Every now and then, you got to phone it in, all right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Mike? That's Maybe true. it was the weekend. Maybe That's they wanted true. to go home. But at the time, at the time, for the first four books, it was approved by him until he's like, I'm going to change a few things. <laughs> We're going to keep writing. It's like, you guys had fun. I enjoyed it, but sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, with the discrepancies too between like their eight, like uh, what was it? Uh, Gurney Halleck and Duncan Idaho. Duncan Idaho. Yeah, 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 we had some so, bad. Uh, grain of salt always. We love the Dune Encyclopedia. Ooh, but, but also like uh, they all they give that little uh, in universe thing too, being like, hey, information from historians. It's always vague. It's always hard to yeah, tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're so many thousands of years <laughs> in the future. Yeah. Um, honestly, when I first read that, I was convinced. I'm like. Maybe they just meant a seven instead of an eight, and it's a typo for Duncan. And like, oh. I looked through, but no, no. It, uh, the events, though, overlap too precisely. It's bound to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, cool for trying to build a world. Uh, they probably were doing it quickly. I think I think it would be uh, less forgivable if it was the same author. For each <laughs> it of was those. just Frank. But I, I do, yeah. yeah. But I, I do feel like it was two separate authors for both of those entries. Yeah. 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 yeah they just yeah. didn't like compare notes or it's anything. Fanfic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They were trying. Um, but that's just funny. I love that. Duke Duke. Duke Duke. Duke Duke Herzog. Uh, oh, man. One of these great houses. So, as I was saying, in the fifth millennium, so we're going forward uh, 2,000 years from that first um, author, we expand on this book, Mike. And uh, this uh, emperor assembles a committee, and they are there to discuss the theory <clears throat> and practice of legal murder under the rules of the Great Convention and the conditions defined, defined by Guild Peace. So these guys are just trying to figure out ways to get around legal murder. All the little, like, how far can you push every line and every Mm. rule that we have established? So um, attributed to the committee, um, 
they were all like um, mintats and masters of assassins themselves. Okay. Uh, that were kind of brought in. They were from other great houses and stuff uh, assembled to like contribute to this. So these are all people who are like, this is their profession. Right. And they are the top of the top. So these are all like the Thufir Howats of their day. Now, why would they share this information? Because it's never been done before. Like, so like nowadays, everyone has this book that they're going, but like these were all, uh, you know, we all kept our own trade secrets. Uh, it just sort of advances the whole profession by sort of logging their um, information For- together. And it was at the emperor's decree. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that was Emperor Dvorjevich. No, okay. Hmm. Now, what's to keep them from like lying or keeping like things to themselves? Uh, I guess. Why do you think they would be so intent on not sharing this information? Information is power with these houses. Yes, and we found that out with the Mentats immensely. Uh huh. But I mean, these guys are brought here under like an imperial decree to do this job. So I think there's sort of like an aspect of the nobility towards it, where like you're not necessarily revealing. Every single thing you do, like I'm going to go through the four sections of the book. It was more like you got all the best. Uh, cons- think of them more like uh, lawyers. And these guys are discussing the various cases they've argued. Okay. And now they're standing here and being like, <clears throat> with all of us together, like maybe this one rule of Canley is completely negated because we all like we can figure out this path to get around it kind of thing. Or there are just these loopholes that, like, you know, by putting our knowledge together, we find. Or we're also defining the scope of... But these are all people that are against each other, right? No, not necessarily. Some of them might be. Some of them might be. Hmm. But it's not like all the great houses are constantly... Everyone's got knives at each other's throats. There's vendettas. I guess that's just my interpretation of this world based off of the Atreides and the Harkonnens. We've seen two really bad families with a very unique vendetta, too. Yeah. That goes back to the establishment of the fucking empire. Yeah, yeah. So that, like, that is a family feud that everyone in the empire, I think, those are the Hatfields and the McCoys of the Imperium. I'm, Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of it now as a game of chess, and it makes a little bit more sense to me, where, like, everyone has a piece in the game, like... This assassin uses pawns. This one uses a queen. This one uses a knight. Like I'm thinking even the, um, remember, oh, what was the the electric cartel that uh, Edison set up? Where all uh, of the light, so this. all of the light bulb producers in the world yeah. got together and just carved up the world into territories so that they could set the price of stuff themselves and just make a killing. Oh my God. And it's called the electric cartel, I think is what it's referred to as. And it was like a conspiracy theory back in the day. That was true. They just like completely circumvented all commerce laws and were like, cool, I don't sell anything here. You don't sell anything here. Set whatever price you want on your light bulbs. I'll do Did whatever they get I caught? want. Uh, no, I think uh, like 100 years they, later. They proved it like after the fact. Yeah, when yeah, it didn't like, even matter anymore. Any, yeah, no one got in trouble for it. <laughs> they, they succeeded. It was awesome. It worked. So that's wow. kind of what I think this is to some extent. Like there's camaraderie among thieves. Assassins. Well, that's the parallel I'm trying to make. Here. Uh, no, I got, I got yeah, you. Yeah, I got you. Uh, so I, I think they would work together to some extent and not like, you know, there would be sort of like, a, oh, where were we just at with Thufir Hawa uh, looking at this plan and saying, sir, this might be a work of art among vendettas. Like, oh, yeah, something that he's never even like seen in his lifetime. He's had a pretty long life, too, and he's the best of the best. Thank you. And what does he want to do? He probably wants to look over this plan 
And he's probably going to annotate it a little bit and be like, well, that was a good idea. Uh, this is a good idea. He's too distracted, though. I, no, no, but like yeah. I'm saying if he had like if yeah. he had the chance and <clears throat> Piter was willing to share with Man, him. I think we just need to give a, a round of applause to Piter here. Like this, this gentleman. So Piter. That's so hot. So <laughs> Piter. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get your punchline in on my it. show. <laughs> Oh but, boy! So that I, I wonder if there's anyone else that has as much love for Piter as I do out there. No, probably not. No. I don't. I don't know what he's like in the in the remainder of this book, but uh, he definitely had a an interesting uh, costume. He's, in he's the, got a bright light in that little frame. In and, the yeah, yeah, I saw like a little uh, a picture of him for the movie, and it's not what I expect at all. <laughs> At all, the David Lynch movie. None of them are really satisfying. Yeah, character so representations. I'm not. I'm gonna take that with a grain of salt. But like in my mind, from the book, like this guy is, he's shady. <laughs> oh, I. Oh, man, I'll I'll share with you later. But I, okay, I got a picture in mind. All right, so I need to uh, zero in on one committee member in particular, uh, and this is the only one the encyclopedia really zooms in on. And also, it was one of particular interest to me because a name popped up that I know very well. Okay. And uh, this member of note was the imperial representative, Count Otho Fenring. <gasps> Fenring! Wait, is this? Wait, no. What's his name? This guy's Otho. Um, so is that like a, a great grandfather kind of? Or like it, it is a relation. Descendant. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, oh, one of the progenitors of the house. Yeah, yeah, he's somewhere in that oh. line. Like, so this is the Fenring name going back. I mean, granted, we're like 5,000 years removed, so. I know, but I mean, that's still a long time. That's what I'm saying, like yeah. a progenitor. Long lineage to build on, and he's contributing to the Assassin's Handbook. And we know, obviously, that um, Hasmir Fenring is an amazing assassin, and it's going to be Shaddam's right hand oh, who uncovers the yeah, Hunter yeah. Seeker, who kills an emperor. So here's the thing. You said that uh, Count Fenring is your favorite character. Yes. I'm super curious because so far he just seems like a nobody to me. Yeah, he's going to be for a long time. Some like he as like I like him just because everything you have to deduce from him is like between the lines. And you got to like, like really extrapolate a lot out. And you, yeah, you said he was like trained Benny Gesserit mm -hmm. uh, style, like for the remainder of his time, like on Arrakis. On Arrakis his, by his uh, wife. Yep, by his wife to indoctrinate him. Oh, that. that was oh, to bring yeah. him so, into the fold. Oh, interesting. They have a second little plan they were trying to unfold. Because he was like a possible Kuzat Chadrak. So there's still like value in him in some aspect, I think. Uh, to yeah. the J Benny Chesaret. Yeah. So he was a eunuch is the only thing that made him useless right, as right, the Kuzat right. Chadrak. Because, wait, he as the Kuzat Chadrak? Would it matter if you're the Kwisat Chadra? Because you can still look back into your bloodline. Well, uh, well, the point for the Bene Gesserit is to make like a, I think it's like a new class of person who so, is the ruler of all humanity. Oh, so the like child of the Kwisat Chadra? No, like, like I think they would keep breeding. Like it would be a lineage. Oh, like but the they Kwisatch would Hadarok all. But once, after once you, have you one. once you fix it, yeah, and you have it, like they breed Kwisatch Hadarok oh, okay. from that. Like so, every one of that blind would have so, that like, ability. Maybe maybe one in ten, like will be like what you need, but like it's better odds and no, way, no, like, one mean, in ten thousand. Uh, do you mean from like if Fenring had children? Yeah. No, I, I mean I think his child would be it. Uh, because well, I thought he would be it if he was the Kwisatch Hadarok. Right, but he can't have children. And I'm saying the the, oh. the so let me hold on. Let me okay, get you there. Okay, let me okay, get you there. okay, okay. I think the Bene Gesserit want continuity of control. So the Kwisatch Haderach okay. is the first step to create this like new leader of all mankind. And then the Bene Gesserit are going to always control the Kwisatch Haderach. Right. 
and then everyone descended from him is going to be the same. What uh, what language is Kwisatch Haderach from? Hebrew. Hebrew. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it, wait, is that a real Hebrew word? Yeah, um, I'm going to say yes. I'm fairly certain. Okay. Uh, without, I didn't double check that before we did this is episode. It, uh, what does it translate to? Um, pretty I... close to what he had it. Um, so he calls it shortening of the way. And I think it was just something kind of twisted to that, to like the shorter path. I man, I love the melting pot that he has for like all of religion. Like, yeah, it's super nice. That's like what's really cool about this world. Yeah. So like uh, we were talking just before this episode, the difference between this and like Tolkien's world is like Tolkien's is like an imaginative created from bottom up. And this is taking like the real world and kind of like top down almost where he's shaking all the pieces. Yeah. So they line up seamlessly. But like you can go find each one and be yeah, like, wait, yeah, wait, this yeah, goes no, over right, here right. actually. But they line up so well within this image that you wouldn't even guess that they don't belong there. I, I was actually like, listening. You, you wouldn't guess that Kwisah Tadarak is not a made up word in this universe when you yeah. read it. I was actually listening to a, a Tolkien uh, podcast that you recommended to me recently, mm-hmm. which I thought was really fun. Always. So, yeah. No. Shout out to them. Sisterhood of the Rings. The best. It was it was wonderful to listen to. <laughs> Great stuff. Keep <laughs> it up if you're listening. Probably not, though. No. Tolkien's <laughs> probably their wheelhouse. Not Dune. <laughs> Dune is our territory. It's our, it's our nerd turf. Yeah. <laughs> nerd. We'll protect until the end of day. Nerd gang wars. <laughs> I like it. There's a, there's a good uh, there's a good Dune comrade. We got a group. We got a posse. Yeah, there's some cool people out there. I, uh, we, got we got the weirding ways. I haven't. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. We got the sagas. We got all these people out there. I would love, yeah. Gonjabarn it up. Oh, yeah, are they, uh, I think I, I, I heard, haven't seen another one on there. I, I saw a, tra- a teaser or a trailer, but I didn't see anything else last time. Yeah, trailer, waiting, but, uh, waiting. Guys, we love you, and we just want to see more and hear more. Oh, so much more in this universe. Yeah. So, Fenring. 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 Uh, he um, contributed significantly to this final draft. So, specifically, we're walking back from Hazmir, going back to Otho. All the way back yep. to, what, 3,000? 5,000. Where 5,000 is the revision, 3,000 is the original Wikipedia okay. entry. So, 5,000 is when he sort of adds his little bit. Yeah, well, we have, uh, we have like, nine Mentat Assassins getting together. Oh, there's the- only nine of them. Yeah. I, um, like, best of the best kind of deal? Contributed, yeah, nine appointed uh, by the Emperor. Wow. Oh, so he handpicked them. So we just get appointed. I don't know what that means, but I would assume him or appointed? a team. I feel like well, he no, I'm just saying like that. a team probably vetted them. I don't know if he personally would have spent the time. Right. All. Uh, he's the emperor of like millions of worlds. He's got stuff to do. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, we're this book is high priority. Okay. We bring in the best of the best. No doubt about that. Fenring, uh, we think he had significant influence on the final draft because they compare it. Because uh, remember, this article is written in universe. So we compare it to a fictional work he wrote, uh, and uh, Ortho Fenring wrote the book, The Fine Art of Professional Homicide, and passages concerning circumventing rules of Canley without detection were pretty much lifted and put into the final draft of the Assassin's Handbook. Okay. Interesting. That is why I kind of equate them to lawyers. I'm like, they are like, hey... You want to walk the line? You want to do something kind of illegal, but you'll never <clears throat> admit to it? That's actually really cool. This. So, it's so funny because, like, the, the D&D player in me thinks lawyers, devils, like, that's just sort of how they're attributed to <laughs> yeah, in the that. D&D world. And I think it's just funny because of that, but and now assassins. I think, like, yeah, lawyers, assassins, that's just scary. Oh, that's a combination. they'll get and away that, with it. That's you know what, they will. That's what Zufir is. Oh, so Zufir good. Is a loyal, a so lawyer. good. <laughs> 
And uh, oh, yeah, knowing just playing with these uh, these bits of Canley, and uh, we've seen that just represented in every aspect. Mm-hmm. So that is, I think, every moment when you bribe the judge of the change, mm-hmm. that's walking up to the line of Canley. You know what's funny? Last chapter, I forgot to mention it. Um, they they mentioned uh, mentioned Conley again in the the text, and again the audiobook, it sort of proves my theory of no one really talked to one another about pronunciations. The narrator always pronounces it differently than the actors. Ah, do you know? So what, Canley and Conley. What was the context of how it came up last time? So that would have been when he's talking so, with Thufir. Yeah, Thufir mentioned uh, the art of Conley. And how oh, oh, the the, 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 the vendetta. Yeah, the vendetta. It's a yeah. work of art. So this uh, the voice actors are always mentioning it as Conley, and the narrator always mentions it as Canley. Okay. Do you, what do you prefer? Uh, I like Conley. I like Canley. So then, you know what? To each their own. I feel For like- me, I just feel like, uh, I guess that's actually not even pro- Except I'm on Piter, I will die on that sword. All right. We all got a hill somewhere. <laughs> that one, uh, I, I concede to you. <laughs> Uh, but I, I was just thinking of, uh, I am coming from the wrong area on Canley, where I was thinking of a kind of equating to kin, but that is definitely not what it's like. No, um, no, not at all. At all, because it's a different route entire. Um, um, no, I think that that's just how I'm going to do it. And it's like we talked about before, it's just like everyone's pronunciation, especially for a book, it's sort of their own in a way. And it's also what kind of makes it a little bit more like personal and special. Mm-hmm. So however you do it, uh, rock it, defend it. Like yeah, I said, Peter, uh, Peter, a, die on that sword. It's a great fantasy book I grew up reading, and it's all in the Dragonlance series. And I think every elf in that name, I don't know their real name, ah. but I got names for them in my head. And oh. if I saw the words, I could tell you what they were, but, oh, they're just gone. And they are never what they were. <laughs> uh, it's like, that's too long. Shortening that one up, dropping half of these letters, and just let Dyslexia I, uh, take over. I recently started uh, a D&D book, and uh, one of the characters' names is Jarlaxle. When I read that, uh, <laughs> oh, I was just like, what is that? <laughs> Gonna call you Jay. I was super happy when I found out that I was pronouncing <laughs> it correctly, like in my head. As to what the like author and characters were saying, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> One for Mike. <laughs> One for Mike. Well, Mike, let's uh, let's dig into this book. Okay. I got four sections in the, the Assassin's Hand. There's only four sections to it? That's all you need. Not nine? They didn't all get a section to themselves? <gasps> no. Oh, dang. They had to share the It sections. doesn't even sound like all of them lived until the end, so. Oh, God. Oh, did I not tell you? <laughs> no. <laughs> what Sorry. happened? Sorry. I skipped Are you a, kidding me? Skipped a line. <laughs> An uh, important line. I skipped that one line. They were all, um, <clears throat> these uh, nine uh, elite mentats, were all victims of their profession, ultimately. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Okay. That makes yeah. sense, though. Yeah. Because, like, it's a... Uh, were they all min- wait, wait, were they all mentats? Because that you said originally it was like a. Uh... No, it did say mentats and uh, like the masters of assassins, so it could be both. It seems like the leaders of the house, um, just like whoever their head was. Oh, so like your second in command kind of deal, usually. Yeah, yeah, like whoever was doing the killing for you. Uh, I and think... sometimes it just ends up being a mentat. Yeah, it's, I think okay. it's, I think it's always better if it's a mentat. When you first mentioned, I thought that master of assassin was a mentat title. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I think colored it that way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So, we master are. of assassin is completely different. Through for how it happens to be both, and maybe that's why he is like, yeah, it is so it, it highly just, valued. It just definitely, it is a title granted at the end of mentat training. Like that's okay. the last schooling they'll give an advanced mentat because it makes them ready to basically be a war master, and they can like uh, deal with all of the logistics of warfare in mm-hmm. this universe. 
And that's going to be like moving troops, moving resources, like setting up supply lines and those kind of uh, uh, background things that are happening during a war. Um, but so, yeah, uh, that brings us to the four sections, not nine sections. So we have the four that they were contributed with. Um, first one, poisons. Like I said, this is uh, the legacy of the first edition. So the first edition is just essentially the first section. Remember in the year 3000, that first guy wrote a yeah, book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like a summary of all the poisons we got. So all they did is they've kept that. They might have added a few if any more were created. Uh, but they gave me a cool list of poisons, Mike. Okay. And some you know, some you don't. I know Chamas, Chamurki, Gamjabar. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Gamjabar? Not in the book. Uh, it might be, but it's oh, not Oh, that's a, that's a Benny Gesserit thing. Yeah, it becomes a great house thing, uh, too, down the road. I think um, one of them says, like, every house is a Gamjabar. Uh, but we'll cover that later. I might be okay. uh, co- confusing two things, or it might be a future Indian. Well, we'll get back to that at some point, then. Uh, that, but that's okay. You yeah. got you got Chalmurki. You got uh, in the Chalmas. You have Basilia. Basilia, tell me about Basilia. Basilia is a poison that is, uh, it's invisible, and it, like super clear, it dries clear. You apply it to a blade, and when it enters the bloodstream, uh, it causes like, um, I don't think it gave me the actual thing, I think like cardiac arrest. Uh, oh, God. And just like, it, it'll kill you very quickly. Wow. It takes no time at all. Uh, and when you like put it on a blade, like you can't tell it's on the blade. So when people are in a knife fight, um, one of the common things is they can't tell which hand has the poison blade. And that's the one that can Does kill you. Does one of them usually have a poison blade? They have, uh, yeah, there's a ceremony around it. Um, I think they, it's either a black and white handle or the left and right hand. Um, and I don't remember which one is which in either case. Hmm. And then, uh, so we're going to see a gladiator match where that's sort of spelled out for us. And they'll explain that ceremony uh, and how that works. And so that's part of their battle. So Basilia, we have that poison added to our list. Uh, then I have... Uh, uh, ooh, criminon, criminon, and that is a uh, gas poison, and it's something that they're able to like. Uh, they can put it into like a capsule, and you can basically use it as like an aerosol in a room. And another fast-acting instant oh. death. So you basically just gas someone. Yeah. Uh, but mind, keep in mind, like, uh, shields, they do delay, like, that kind of stuff, too. Do they really? Yeah, like, remember, well, it made an, uh, an ozone smell because the air has to, like, uh, push through it when you're in. I hadn't considered that. So it does work on, like, uh, any poison like that, too. So even, like, uh, a liquid or if I threw, like, a powder poison at you and you had a is shield there, on. Is there a visible, would, like, like, uh, a reaction when a shield is hit by something? The shield is visible in general. Oh, it is. Yeah. You what does this shield look like exactly? They put it as like a light shimmer. Um, so it, I think it'd be like I could see you clearly, and then I would just notice like a film over you. All right. So request next time we have an interaction with a shield, I want to have a deep dive on shields. Okay. And sort of their history, how they work. You got it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do it. Uh, how to get by them? Yeah, how to uh, get by them? Then we have there's one poison in here that is not a fast acting poison. Okay. We have, it's called Zenobia, and it, that is called the Throat of Hell. Oh, God, what? Yeah. Oh, uh, my God. This, I got to imagine this is Piter's go-to, because uh, it was basically <laughs> like, hey, if you got the time, you want to make him suffer, I got the drug for you. Zenobia, try it now. Contact your doctor. <laughs> uh, this stuff is just awful, and is if you want to make them have the longest painful day of their life, 
you tie him down and you use Zenobia. So uh, I don't think I I don't know where that is in the series. I feel, it's got to be somewhere. I feel like at the, in my head I've got the poison dealership, like uh, Piter's like uh, shopping. It's just like oh, okay, well, I'd like to test drive this. Just spends like two weeks in a cell with some guy. Like oh, this is pretty good. You know, I think I like this. Somebody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I'll take one. <laughs> this has been really nice. I really like this. <laughs> I could see myself using this poison day to day. <laughs> Oh, I bet the customer service is super upbeat, though. Very oh, yeah. <laughs> you got it. Um, so, second section. That is the end of our poison section. Yeah. We got the, all those there. So we have uh, Chow Murky, Basilia, Crimion, and Zenobia. That expands right. our Is it repertoire. Zenobia with an X? Z. 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 You've been pushing Xs today, but Z-E-N-O-P-I-A. <sighs> <laughs> Just got this feeling. <laughs> got this itch for X. Uh, so section two is other weapons and their uses okay very straightforward swords and laser guns their advantages and disadvantages right and so laser guns are pretty much what we imagine as the classic like laser gun or blaster yeah. pistol kind of thing uh, uh more like continuous laser beam that's gonna oh just a something. laser in general. yeah like wham, okay you blade through because uh you also need that reaction to be i love how universal of a sound that is mm. even though it's completely made up <laughs> yeah <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I think uh, especially for that reaction to happen, that laser needs to be constant for the whole feedback to happen. Oh, so wait, how long does it take for the feedback to occur then? I mean, I think it's like inst- the time of light to pass probably. It's oh, fairly, so, fairly instantaneous. So then it doesn't matter. Like it has to be on the whole time. So it has to be on for like a second. No, no, but I just mean like, uh, I guess I was thinking like like a phaser blast in Star Trek, you know, they shoot it and it's clearly like it is a small thing that moves away from the gun and it right. isn't like connected to it. Like, I think you need that. But- Ray to travel all the At way the back. At the speed of light? I don't know, Mike. It's, I mean, we're I really, we're really splitting fishy. hairs beyond the means of okay, mortal whatever. Right, continue on. It makes a nuclear detonation. <laughs> Let's just call it that. All right. Uh, section three. Discussions and strategies and their odds. Circumventing, circumventing great convention and canly. Okay. So specifically like. Circumventing. What you can do and what are the odds of that circumventing, like uh, you succeeding in getting around the law. So illegal activities. Like you can do anything you want as long as you don't get caught. Exactly. And here are the odds that you'll get caught. Oh, that's actually kind of cool. That's why we got all these guys together. (laughs) And everyone's uh, got like assassin baseball cards. No, (laughs) like it is literally various methods and odds of like killing someone at a formal dinner or a sporting (laughs) event. And like you can make a card game out of that alone. Can I give you? Space is given for infiltrating a ducal palace, a prison. <laughs> like, it goes on and on. So this book, this book is good. That section does sound great. Of like, it's like probably like a little formula. And you're just plugging in these various wow. things. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, finally, we have uh, certain professional standards and rules of prudence. Okay. Yeah, really tightening it up at the end. Rules of prudence. And like uh, this includes like um, conventional formula for kind of how to just be an assassin on like filing your paperwork level. Because uh, you need to do like a formal declaration of tent with the Imperial Registrar. You need to then send that intent to the Landsred Secretariat. And, uh, and this goes all the way through until your final declaration of victory. So it's just walking you through the paperwork, uh, making sure you dot your I's, cross your T's, 
you know, you want to get paid. You want to get legal. You want mm-hmm. to keep your medical insurance. And finally, the book has like a little uh, little side thing. This isn't like a full-on section. But it's just that uh, assassins need protection. Every one of them. And it advises you explicitly to know your employer's crimes. <laughs> yeah. Take those crimes. Hide those away somewhere only you can get to <laughs> later on. Basically blackmail them. And then also make yourself as valuable as possible to your employer without ever thinking yourself irreplaceable. Oh. Ooh, yeah, that one. That's pretty That's good. That's good. Yeah, that's some good I like advice. That. And uh, that is about where uh, the document closes on Assassin's Handbook. And that is the history I got for you. But it includes one last little tidbit uh, that I, I had to tell you. I got to dip into. And that is in the far-flung future, we have uh, access to annotated handbooks from a few key people. Uh, particularly, we find a Harkonnen Assassin's Handbook. And so this is oh. where I want to give you kind of commentary on like what's happening nowadays with the Assassin's Handbook. Uh, 5,000 years removed, and then um, the writing of this in-universe is like another, I think like 10,000 years beyond everything or something. It's some crazy amount of time. And the Harkonnen book has uh, generations of notation. And uh, typically, they're all on the folly of emotional investment. What? That is, that's what does that the, mean? Like, just the Harkonnens of, like, don't let your emotions direct you on anything. That's only going to lead you astray and lead you to error. Uh, that you need to be cold, ruthless, you know? Like, you don't have a heart. That's not the Harkonnen way. I think it's kind of like how we ended up with the Baron in so many ways. And uh, later entries in this, uh, they have a lot of variations of Bene Gesserit Witch. And then... Uh, Wait, in the Assassin's Handbook? In the Assassin's Handbook, like, scrawlings of it. Someone was just, like, complaining about it. And that is, like, this Harkonnen uh, little treasure we have kind of left behind. And so, Do you like, think that's why Piter's interested in the Bene Gesserit? Ooh, could be. It's got it's to gotta be something on there. Piter knows something and, that we don't know, and I want to know it. But I just want to say, like, so, like, all the Assassins currently... They have these books, but they're still, like, adding to them. Even though we haven't had, like, another Assassin's Council, I imagine every great family is probably making their own annotations to that book as it goes and has, like, a family. So they have they still have their own until another council is called to be, right. like, well, add your It's kind of like comments. a family Bible or some extent. But, yeah, like. <laughs> of death yeah. and killing. I mean, isn't that what the Bible is? And survival, is? I guess. Because if you know what the weapon is, then you know how to defend against it. Survival, experience. Yeah. yeah all these things. Uh-huh. Just how continuity can culminate over time. And uh, yeah, that is ultimately what I got for the Assassin's Handbook for you. That is awesome, actually. I th- That was a left field one, because one, I didn't even <laughs> realize. Didn't, you didn't, didn't even read it. it. You freeze by it. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I Funny like how that. that works out. Funny how that works out. <laughs> but uh, I that, that was good. I enjoyed that. That was... Oh. Uh, a little bit of extra insight there that I didn't. Uh, it, really it was on. a cool read for me. Uh, yeah, there's a lot I came across that I was happy for, especially that little. How bit long ago did you like find that and be like, I'm gonna use this for this chapter? Oh. Did you like just like just this week? You're like, oh, you yeah, know what? It was just like two weeks ago. It wasn't. Wow. Like, it wasn't like anything like too grand oh, okay. scheme. Uh, I appreciate you trying to give me more credit, but. <laughs> 
Derek's a master assassin. Master of assassins. Uh, you no. might have noticed I've just sort of been doing my own thing here for a second. Yeah, here. you're you're folding paper, Mike. What are you what are you doing over there? I got a little paper airplane here. Oh, it's gonna go. Woo! Oh, oh, it's not a good one. Oh, but it landed in your lap. <laughs> Do I open it? Yeah, you should. Okay. Keep in mind, this is a podcast, and our viewers can't see what you see. So uh, it was an airplane. It was well made. I'm opening. Uh, I'm flipping over. I opened it upside down, and it says, uh, "Look under your chair." Okay, is that like a chair dog? No, no, no you didn't take well to those. Last no, time. no, right. horrid creatures. Hold on one second. What uh, do you think's under your chair, Derek? There's, it's there's something. Whoa, there's something tape under my chair. What could it be? Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, you fool! Look behind your. Oh, oh damn! <laughs> okay, look behind your laptop. All right, so bring down the laptop. <laughs> What's it say, Derek? It's another card. <laughs> It's time for the glossary game. Glossary game. (laughs) Well played. (laughs) I did not see you get one on the laptop, and I have not moved. I know. Maybe I learned a thing or two from the Assassin's Handbook. (laughs) Oh, I don't want to play this game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was. That was your best. That life. was good. Mike, oh wait, I graded you last time. Oh yeah, what's the grade on this one? I'm gonna hold back. Really? And I'm gonna give you an A. Why are you holding back though? I think you have more potential that you're not uh, fully capitalizing on. <laughs> and I want to see you reach your potential, Mike. Oh man, you. Someone might get hurt because of it. <laughs> <laughs> An elaborate pulley system. Mapes taught me how. <laughs> that's what. That's what I want to hear. Swinging left and right with a bull's head on it. <laughs> Look behind this. <laughs> Join Leto in hell. Oh, it won't be the only blow on Amorte's horns. <laughs> so last week, you surprised <laughs> me. I uh, I gave you two words I, I legit didn't think you would get. I was uh, kind of surprised with one of them. The other one uh, I was happy with. I had a streak of I had tricked you with four in a row, and then you came back. You got both of them right. So we had uh You don't mess if I made up an in, a made up word in my head, it's talash. It's talash, it's gold. Well Mike. close enough, it's it's talash. It's talash, yeah. Because yeah, right. you had it, it's ish talash. And that's what makes it more memorable for me. And stick in to be like, wait, yeah, what did well, you spell? No, I'm pretty yeah. sure I made this. I one mean, up. like I've had my fair share. I messed up one of the words earlier in the glossary <laughs> no. game. I owned up to it, it's fine. We fudged many a thing. <laughs> but uh do you remember what it was? Um Ishtala is And then we did mention it in this episode. You did, in this episode? Yeah. Uh, well, I mentioned the word. Yeah. Ooh. Um. Ooh. I remember. Uh. You said warfare. It was general welfare. Yeah. 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 Um. Uh. And brutal necessity. Yeah. Is what a I rule for the general welfare, usually a preface to brutal necessity. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. And it's cool. There's just a word for that. It's a good one to have because I bet the Fremen use it often. And this was, I dug my own grave with the next one. Kala. Kala. Yes. Which uh, I was confusing with Kulwahad. So I thought it was in chapter, like once you told me that, I was like, oh no, it wasn't one of the first chapters. I checked chapter one, wasn't in it. No. Nope. You Ch- thought it was three. You nope. checked chapter three, wasn't in it. Where was it? I checked chapter one. Remember you that, checked chapter remember three. Remember that flashback we had when talking to Thufir in chapter four? Yeah, yeah, we're like- yeah, uh, It's in the flashback. Which is awful because then it's between chapters <laughs> one and three. No, it's not. It's chapter four. No, no, like that conversation. Oh, oh though, the conversation like, happened in between. Linear time. Oh, I was going to say, like, mm, there are fours after yeah. three. You're not going to get me that bad. 
But uh, yeah, no, it has the traditional invocation to still the angry spirits of a place whose name you mention. Mm. And in that chapter, uh, guys, Helen Mahaya mentioned Arrakis when she said Kala. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she's talking about the desert. And, yeah. Uh, like, oh, that I, empty place, Kala. Oh, Kala, where the land is empty. So uh, this week's words, I don't know. I'm afraid you're going to... So we are, we're tied. We're tied 14, 14. That's where I want to be. What's going to happen today, Derek? Well, I see victory in the future. Oh, bring it out. What's the first word? Uh, how do you feel about oil? Um, if it's the first word, pretty good. I think I got it. Oh, damn. (laughs) So let me just look at my glossary real quick and change a couple things. No, I got, I got no opinions on oil except the, uh, we did a little talk on how it's analogous to melange and the spice is a single monotony resource. Yeah. Well, tell me about the oil lens, Usul. The oil lens. Um, I do. Okay. So I kind of know how this works. I don't know if I can describe it uh, fully, but the oil lens is, I believe, um, like a set of binoculars or a single lens telescope. And uh, the it's like literally oil in between, I think like crystals that allows for like, really fine and precise like uh tuning and focusing of the lenses and like you can adjust them on super minute uh minute levels that is what i think the oil lens is and like pretty much like that oil is between those crystals and or even they might even be flat and like the oil might be what is um distorting the light to magnify it oh okay like making that kind of uh like fishbowl aspect like um, the diffraction of it. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's just like very precise, very accurate, um, and then doesn't uh, obviously go outside the Butlerian Jihad, and is like an analog device. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so first off, I'm gonna say I'll give it to you. Congratulations, but thank you. This is a much more complicated definition than I think you even you were preparing even the, for. Oh yeah, yeah. How, what is what's like uh, tipping it over? Uh, well. It is a full paragraph for a definition instead of a sentence, like that most words it. are. I mumbled as much as I could. Uh, and some of them, I just don't know the origin of. So, oil ends is hoof of oil, H-U-F-U-F. Okay. And I checked the glossary. It's spelled correctly. Hoof of oil held in static tension by an enclosing force field within a viewing tube as part of a magnifying or other light manipulation system. So, like a microscope. Yeah. Or a telescope. Or something along those the lines. The force field, Some, is like you said, binocular. Something to just like adjust yeah. the light. Um, but so, so it's just the force field is holding the oil in place. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But here's the thing, because a for and I imagine this is uh, a suspensor field of yeah, some sort. Exactly. By uh, Holtzman. Holtzman, our boy. This his suspensor fields are pretty precise though, because each lens element can be adjusted individually one micron at a time. The oil lens is considered the ultimate in accuracy for manipulating visible light. Now, microns Ooh. are pretty small. Yeah. Um, a human hair is between 10 to 100 microns. Wow. Ice crystals start forming at about one micron. Uh-huh. This can go one, <laughs> one micron, micron at, at a time, time at will. Wow. This is 
a precision instrument. And I guess I don't really appreciate how wild this is until I compare it to some of those other objects we can sort of attribute it to. We could look at a hunter seeker in detail with this tool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we could read the writing on the hunter seeker. <laughs> Made in space, China. Yeah. Oh, with how small they print stuff. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's on there. But uh, yeah, isn't that, that cool? Yeah, and I wonder if that's almost um, like useless in that precision, like to be able to move something one micron. That's so. Like, what does that really change in the image you're looking at? It's like what I wonder. Clarity. And do you think because it says is the ultimate in accuracy? Right, right. Interesting. Do you think one micron? Do you think a human would even perceive that though? You can't through a microscope. You think of like when it adjusts? Yeah. Because, I mean, like, technically now, I can see every single hair on your head, but I can't really perceive what they look like in detail mm -hmm. unless I have an oil lens in front of me. And then I could be like, mm, click, 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 click on my uh, oil lens mo uh, monocle here. Like, what do we got here, Derek? <gasps> too far, too far. Oh, I want the control. Oh, my God. Do you think that Sardaukar might have, like, hunter seekers just, like, embedded in their hairline? Yes. Oh, my God. That is so terrifying to think about. They would have to have a console, though. They wouldn't control it. Yeah, you would have to have a console. Is that the dude that like, follows them everywhere? But they, I told you, they put sugar wire in their hair. Right. Uh, which is basically like a grout. And then they I have wonder if fake that's nails the and fake tooth handbook. Like, uh, oh, someone... like what's on a starter car? Oh, for sure. Well, not just on a starter car, but like oh. some person that has a uh, hunter seeker just embedded in their hair. You well, would again, never be able to tell. Again, but like that's not that useful. You have to use a council. No, but or... you have someone else with it. But yeah, like you could walk into a room and you get screened. You think like a like a blonde, and she like uh, runs her hand through her hair. Yeah, like one I mean, hair like, floats off, and boom, hunter seeker. Whoa, I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. No, no, I'll give it. It's there. That's pretty scary. I mean, like, it's silly, but it's when there. you deal in the absolutes of things, which you're right, Frank Herbert does, and the oil lens is like the ultimate microscope. Mm -hmm. That's a, yeah, kind of. Or, like, it seems I guess, almost like too extreme or to telescope because it doesn't actually say that it has to be like zooming in at all it just says some sort of light magnification so you could have a telescope you could get pinpoint accuracy in like oh wait i think so maybe is that what we were maybe that's where we were coming at for the hair thing like i was imagining very much a telescope i was imagining a microscope okay that is like why i was wondering with the one well mic that's because i had in my just mind, like the definition describes sure, one sure, micron sure. at a time so i imagine what's that in a microscope and that's the how i looked up like right, the right. hair and the ice crystals but uh, I believe the uh, the Fremen use these like out on the blood and stuff, and uh, we'll pull out our oil lens oh. when we want to look over the desert. Oh, like a basically just like a spyglass. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, and that is why I was saying like, why would it okay. make a difference of like one micron necessarily? But I mean, who knows with the length you're looking but this at? Is, I feel like this is universal technology, though. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely is. Uh, but this is the only place we're gonna see it. That's fair, but so, like that—that's really cool. That's really yeah. interesting. And he doesn't I, limit it to oh, telescopes alone. Because my thought was microscopes. And yeah, yeah, and that's same because it's just yeah. a mechanism for adjusting. Granted, that I don't know how that would be useful in the context of this particular narrative, but in the <laughs> world as a whole, that is really cool. There's some scientists. I imagine Doctor Yui has one. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and sure. he uses it for the reason I think. <laughs> yes, yes, he does, Mike. <laughs> Doctor Yui's on my side. I'm not really on his side, though. <laughs> just want to put that out there. So, uh, oil lens. Okay, down and dirty. You got oil lens. Yeah, you got it, Derek. Give me the, give me that second. Congrats word. to you. Oh my god. If you have the courage. All to... right, I might pronounce this wrong, so I'll pronounce it probably two ways and see which way sounds more familiar to you. Uh, Mina or Mina. I'll take a third option. <laughs> M I H N A. Wait. Uh, I'm gonna go like Mina. Mina. 
I think I would give that H a little, a little okay. sound. Um, I'm gonna need a hint for sure. Let me just double check my glossary. They got this right. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, you got some time. Um, because that doesn't ring too much to me, and I'm trying to think of like other words that uh, would ring close to it. And obviously, like, it's a time of the year. A time of the year, Mina. We do something specifically in this time. Hmm. So we have Sihaya is springtime in the Fremen sense. So I'm thinking we're not going to do that again. Are you sure? Mm, no, not at all. <laughs> I'm thinking. Well, I don't want to discount you or like make you talk yourself out of it, but I also don't want to dissuade you and make you think that I'm talking you out of it on purpose. Well, now you've just confused the game. <laughs> have you considered silence? <laughs> <laughs> think that you're hmm. slightly trying to trick me okay and uh so because i just recently had read up of um touching on how this is a universe uh very much uh, couched in ceremony and festivals so i'm gonna guess that mina is like a Oh, I'm losing faith as I go through this. Uh, <laughs> See, like, are you, you're talking yourself out of yeah, it now. Yeah, yeah, you're like, Derek, no, no, no it's not a good idea. <laughs> bad word, bad word. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I'm going to lean into it where, like, instead of going for, like, a time of year or, like, a seasonal change, I'm going to think it's, like, a, a festival or, like, a celebration of the change in season. Okay. And that is kind of what you have I'm a particular mean. like guess for like what kind of change in season like what are the changes in worried. season on Arrakis really well they go through the mix of them because there's a springtime we know that but like yeah. what is spring on Arrakis like it's two degrees <laughs> <laughs> two degrees warmer we don't oscillate much <laughs> we go from a like a rich 80 to an 85 uh, <laughs> yeah uh, on, the, on the cold end uh, of the spectrum uh, I'll I'll lean into like uh maybe like an equinox like uh all right, all right. the same uh the days are like just equi uh same night is day. Well, Derek, you'd be proud. We're tying it up. Yeah. yeah. Welcome back into the game, Mike. <laughs> Thank you, You're Derek. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, I gave you that. Oh, <laughs> uh, so you knew what it was all along, then, Derek? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so you you I mean, obviously, you wanted me to catch up and tie it up. So you knew that Mina was the season for testing Fremen youths who wish admittance to manhood. Which I only do on an equinox. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. It's <laughs> just tribe to tribe. Uh, yeah. Uh, wait, so say it one more time. The season for testing Fremen youths who wish admittance to manhood. Do they say what season that's during? They actually don't, but I okay. wouldn't give it to you regardless because you didn't get like the actual content. I don't know, but if it was like on the- e If it was on the equinox, you might be like, oh yeah, but like this that is what it's That does cover two days in the year. Yeah. Uh, so it's yeah. pretty well couched, but okay. I was just curious, I guess. No, nah, uh, it's like, thing. it was not specific enough um, even by a long shot. But anywho, I find this really fun and interesting because you mentioned we're going to find out the time or the moment that uh, Paul sort of becomes a man. Mm-hmm. When yeah, it like yeah. sort of like moves over that. Do you does it have anything to do with this? Uh it they will talk about this specifically. So obviously Paul's not Fremen. Uh, right. so he's not gonna grow up Fremen. And uh they will allude to the fact that, you know, Paul is pretty much like late in this. Like uh other, you know, um other Fremen would have already ascended to manhood, so to speak. Oh uh, they would have done this test. Paul is older. He just got here. Yeah. He needs to catch up, essentially. He is wise beyond his years, though. 
Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, mean, like he's still a kid, but like we can see he can take information, process it, spit it back out. He's constantly learning and no, adjusting. No, even uh, even the Fremen totally recognize that, and yeah. it's just a matter of tradition. That's fair. That is how they view it. Like, oh, I bet we're going to see something to pause to do that. I, I think uh, just the fact they let Paul take part is going to be the measure of his acceptance. So it says the, the season Fremen. for testing. They have to test them. Yes. What's this test involved there? Or... Mike. <laughs> I Mike. thought I could get you. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you get this amateur hour over here. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that does the glossary game for today. <sighs> we got to look forward to next week, Derek. Oh, next week, Mike. This is the chapter I've been looking forward to for a long oh, time. Oh, really? Wait, why? Uh, well, wait. We'll, oh, Doctor Kynes, right? Doctor Kynes. You finally in get the to house. meet the, the yeah. The Emperor has him stationed here. Yep. And then by that convenience, he made him judge of the change. Oh, just because he's already there. I think so. It's like it's expensive to send someone. You. <laughs> You're there. You know yeah. the Harkonnens. You're my guy. And uh, honestly, I don't want any other eyes. How looking. much money does the Emperor have? Because I feel like even like for the Emperor, he's starting to think that. How, yeah. Wait a second. Well, Mike, you and I played the Doom board game, and the Emperor got a lot of money really fast. Yeah. 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 The Emperor is. He has. Um, some like 35% of the... Oh, we didn't mention everyone uh, that we played the Dune board game, did we? we? We haven't done a full cover of that now. No, we should we should, uh, we should record a game sometime and just do like highlights. Because <laughs> there were some pretty memorable moments in ours. There was, there was. Uh, uh, you had to like, I thought it was kind of hilarious. You had masking tape over several names of pieces and cards. I'm just like, that person. <laughs> just a couple to hide from you. I recognize that face. <laughs> Which one we can peel off next yeah. week, apparently, as we meet Dr. Kind. Yeah, finally. right. We'll get there, though. Okay. Uh, but like I said, it's a chapter I'm looking forward to. We're going to meet Kynes. That is actually the smallest little bit that happens. Like, we're going into the desert. We're going on a spice hunt. No more windows? Uh, we're looking actually out a window of a thopter. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Every chapter. Hold okay, on. No, wait, can Let we me just... rephrase that. We're getting into a thopter, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> we're flying the thopter. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we get to see a thopter at least. That's really cool. We That's something do. new. We get to see Sandcrawler. We get to see a worm. <gasps> Wait, we what? Get... Yeah. That's, I mean, we'll just leave it there. Mike, we're going to meet our first worm. We're going to think of a name. It doesn't get a, a name. A worm in the name. Book. Yeah. Worm name. It's going to have a lot of X's. I don't know why, but I've got X's on the brain today. That's okay. I'm regretting this decision, but I'm going <laughs> to stick with it. We'll, uh, we'll do that. We'll get that done. All right. Uh, Zorby. Zorb. Zorby. All right, that's your first one. Give me, <laughs> give me three. All right. Uh, Zorby no. Jr., Zorby the third. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see the logic. And Zorby fourth Esquire. Ugh. All right, Zorby Jr. it is. And because I have X on the brain, it's not Esquire. It's Xquire. Xquire. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Let me X you something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are we done? Yeah, we're done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if you have any questions for us, if you got a wine that you know we could afford, we've had one recommended. We yeah. Could, we could use another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're on the hunt now. Uh, we're on. The, oh, we're on the spice hunt. <laughs> oh, how fitting. You can let us know. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Spice World Pod. Uh, you can reach us by email at SpiceWorldPod at gmail.com. And we also have our website up and running, and it looks good right now. Uh, we finally did some work so on perfect. it. You did some work on it, yeah! Mark. Take that credit. <laughs> it's better than your worm names. <laughs> <laughs> I think with that, we're going to have to leave it. We've uh, we finished our bottle for sure. Yeah. 
And in this, Jill, I don't know if it was Louis or the 14, like both of those bottles were really rough on me. I'm going to blame it on the Sappho horse. <laughs> I think the Sappho <laughs> horse that pulled ahead. He, he, I think he played some dirty tricks. He pulled something out of the assassin's He's hand. He's a horror of assassin, yeah. Yeah. A master horse of, assassins, of assassins, no doubt. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, we'll be back next week, we'll Mike. Be, we'll yeah. hit up uh, chapter 15. And until then, the, the spice, spice must flow. So he was operating in oh, wow. World, War, uh, World War II. No. No. <laughs> we're both just like uh-uh nope hitler versus lords of arabia doesn't sound right oh that'd be a better movie though <laughs> this is indiana jones <laughs> that is indiana jones